Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the and I'm. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That is me. My name is Guy Flaming. Welcome to the program. If you're a newcomer and just stumbled across the show, well, I hope you enjoy it and that you'll be back for more. And if you're a returning listener, then uh, I really appreciate you coming back. Wherever you find your podcast from, if you have the option of uh, leaving comments or something like that, I, I, I would appreciate it if you would. I think it's important for those who aren't familiar with the show. Maybe they come across it on, you know, on iTunes or, or Spotify or something. And if there's a, you know, a, a recommendation that from a current listener that says, you know what, give the show a try, uh, maybe that encourages new people to uh, try out the Pipeline Show, and uh, we can grow the community that way. So if you have the ability to uh, leave a comment or a rating or something like that, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, and uh, you enjoy the show then I'd appreciate it if you would do so for the Pipeline Show. As always, we start with the question of the day. I put that up a couple of days ago because I wanted to get a little more feedback from you, the audience. So the question, which WHL team currently has the best trio of 20-year-old players? And I did get lots of feedback. The first one comes from Glenn Erickson from Dub Network. You heard him on the show last week, helping me preview the WHL's Central Division. He says Vancouver, uh, the uh, three overagers right now for Vancouver. They've actually got four, and that's part of his point. The Giants have Owen Hardy, Milos Roman, Dylan Plouffe, and uh, David Tendek. And uh, the reason that Glenn gives is he says because even their fourth overager is likely to net another asset. And that's, that's a good point. But you're kind of circumventing the rules, Glenn, because I said trio. But I understand your point. Uh, Paul Figler, also from Dub Network, he has uh, singled out the Spokane Chiefs uh, and their overage uh, trio. Now, that group includes uh, Jake McGrew up front, as well as a pair of defensemen in Noah King and Philip Crawl. Lucas Puncari from the Prince Albert Daily Herald, uh, he uh, goes with the Calgary Hitmen, which is the team that I've uh, said as well. Now, there's a bit of an asterisk here right now. Uh, the, the three overage players on their roster, Dakota Krebs on the back end, James Mom and Mark Kastelik. And if you've uh, heard the last you know, month worth of episodes here of the Pipeline Show, you've heard me speak very highly of that trio. But right now, Mark Kastelik is not back with the Calgary Hitmen. He's still in the American Hockey League with Ottawa's farm team in uh, Belleville. And I reached out to somebody there uh, who is uh, well, closer to the 
a senator's organization and asked him uh, for his gut feeling on whether Castellick comes back to the WHL or if he sticks in the American Hockey League. And uh, that person that I reached out to thinks he actually stays in the AHL, which be a, that would be a huge blow, I think, to the Hitman. Uh, I'm on record saying I, I think Castellick could be one of, you know, in the top five of leading scorers this year in the WHL. So we'll see what uh, what Ottawa decides to do with uh, Mark Castellick. Taco Tavares uh, says it's uh, for him it's either Kelowna or Spokane, and we already went through the uh, overage players for the Spokane Chiefs. The uh, Kelowna Rockets, meanwhile, and you know this could evolve over the course of the season, but right now Leaf Matson, Kyle Topping, and uh, Carson Sass. Joel says it's Spokane or Everett, so that's three votes for Spokane. Uh, the Everett Silvertips, pretty good group here though too. Bryce Kindop and Max Patterson up front. On the back end, uh, Wyatt Wiley and uh, Jake Christensen. So there's uh, still a decision to be made uh, for the Everett Silvertips. Dale says, Calgary, no doubt. Mom, Kastelik, and Krebs. Kastelik could be in running for uh, league MVP. Again, if he's back. Steve-O says, uh, Edmonton? I don't know. This is why I follow you. you got to tell me. Well, I'm on record. I've uh, picked Calgary as having the best trio. That obviously depending uh, completely on whether or not Kastelik is back. Goots says easily it's Brandon. In Brandon, they have a Connor Gutenberg, Zach Wittink, and a Yuri Patera. Other teams that get a note or a mention, Scott says Calgary. And David says, are you kidding? It's Calgary. Josh says, I have to say it's Vancouver. And uh, Scott just chimed in this morning uh, giving me the uh, shrug emoji. If you want to weigh in and share your thoughts, you hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. If you're not following me already and you like the show, you should probably follow me because it's basically the show on Twitter. Let's get to some news and notes, and uh, we can start in the WHL. And, there, boy, there's been uh, a, a few big trades here this past week since the, the last episode of the show. The Vancouver Giants uh, sent Braden Watts to the Prince Albert Raiders, just a fifth-round pick going in that deal. The Edmonton Oil Kings made two trades here in the last couple of days. Uh, first with Spokane, they add overage player Ethan McIndoe for a fourth and fifth round pick. McIndoe originally from Camrose, which uh, for those who don't know, it's about 45 minutes away from Edmonton. So sort of a local product uh, coming uh, and, and uh, will play for the Oil Kings. Although he's banged up right now, I'm not sure exactly what the injury is, but I'm told he's about 10 days away from uh, actually getting into the lineup. But uh, McIndoe, good reputation uh, a lot. I'm told, like Andrew Fighton last year, who was a real gritty heart and soul kind of player for the Oil Kings, a real difference maker in uh, those tight physical games. Uh, McIndoe, if he provides that uh, sort of leadership, uh, might be exactly, again, what the Oil Kings are, are needing. Uh, the other trade the Oil Kings made, uh, they sent Raphael Pelche to the Swift Current Broncos. Uh, didn't look like Pelche was going to be an everyday player for the Oil Kings this year. He missed basically all of last, or most of last season uh, due to injury. Uh, so the Oil Kings have moved on from him. He goes to Swift Current where he should have little trouble making that team. Uh, they uh, And the Broncos give up a fourth-round pick to acquire the rights of Pelche. And the other trade, this one, a pretty significant one, the Saskatoon Blades shipped out Ryan Hughes. That was a surprise to me. Uh, he goes to the Kamloops Blazers, uh, and they paid a price, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a youngster in Jersey Orchard. I guess he's not really super young. He's uh, 2001, uh, so 18 years old. Not a lot of production there in uh, last season. He only had three points in 41 games for the Blazers. 
originally a fifth-round pick back in 2016. That's uh, Jersey Orchard. So he now goes to the Saskatoon Blades, and uh, in exchange, though, uh, with those picks and Orchard, the uh, Kamloops Blazers get Ryan Hughes. Not big, but uh, boy, I'm a fan. Not sure why, but Hughes actually doesn't appear on the uh, roster page for the Blazers. They're tweeting about uh, his arrival and things, so he's definitely with the team. Uh, but he joins Zane Franklin and Kobe Moore as uh, overage players in uh, in the loops. That's a pretty good trio there as well, and maybe consideration for the uh, question of the week. And uh, from now with Saskatoon, I mean, they were dealing from a position of having too many overage players, uh, so they, they get down in their numbers, so that leaves Riley McKay and uh, Nolan Neen and Scott Walford as the uh, 20-year-olds for the Blades. Pretty significant trade in the Ontario Hockey League as well. This one just happening uh, yesterday as I'm speaking with you. It's uh, Friday the 27th. The London Knights have added Ryan Merkley. And um, much talked about Ryan Merkley. Started with Guelph and was traded to the Peterborough Peets last year uh, for five picks. And I think some of those were conditional. He now goes to Peterborough for three picks. And a couple of those, I believe, are uh, conditional. They're also way in the future. The first... uh, uh, is uh, in 2022 it's a third rounder and then there's a pair in 2024 always love those trades in the ohl but uh, ryan merkley um he'll end up going to london and the san jose sharks i'm sure will be uh, pretty interested to see how he makes it out with uh, his third team in less than a calendar year now i did some digging and i asked some people uh, about ryan merkley because this is a pretty polarizing player i think uh and the report i get is Really, really skilled. His uh, hockey sense and his vision are fantastic. I mean, he had 71 points last year in the OHL, split between Guelph and Peterborough. He'll be an impact guy for the London Knights as well. But then there's the baggage that comes with it, and it's kind of hard to nail down exactly what that is because stuff like that doesn't get uh, publicized all that option uh, that often. Excuse me. But he's not involved with any of the Hockey Canada stuff. He's not being invited to the World Junior Camp. Maybe that changes now that he's in London. I mean, Dale Hunter is the head coach of the World Junior Team for Canada this year. So um, maybe you look at this as like a three-month audition for Ryan Merkley and the World Junior Team. But the the folks I've spoken with, and I did speak to somebody uh, very recently as in 10 minutes ago, just didn't seem to be the right fit in Peterborough. Ryan Merkley wouldn't be the only guy over the course of uh, the the years that I've been doing the Pipeline show that this description would, would fit for. But... He relies almost completely on his natural God-given abilities, which are very, very solid. I mean, he's a great skater, and the playmaking and the vision and the hockey sense, all of that stuff comes very naturally. Not a gym rat. Not necessarily a guy who's high on nutrition uh, and things like that. And uh, I'm told he's not a terrible teammate. He's not a bad guy in the locker room. At least that's the impression I've been given. But he's also not a leader and an example you want for your younger players. You know, if if one of the better players on your team is uh, not going to the gym, not working out at all, and doesn't really care what he eats, then what sort of an example is that for your young guys who most players do need to pay attention to their uh, to their fitness and to their what their their diet plan and things like that. So I am uh, very interested to see how it all plays out for Ryan Merkley as a member of the London Knights. Let's move on. The top 10 rankings this week in the Canadian Hockey League heading into this weekend's play. The Ottawa 67s, now the number one ranked team as they start the season off 2-0. They move from the number four spot to the top rank. Shikudemi with a 1-0-1 record. Uh, they hold down the number two spot. Saskatoon 1-1. They stay 
at the number three ranked team and the top team out of the dub. The Edmonton Oil Kings, they get off to a 2-0 and start against the uh, beating the Red Deer Rebels twice, and they move from 8 to number 4. Sherbrooke goes from 9 to 5 on the top 10. They are also 2-0. and The Vancouver Giants go from 10 to 6. They are also 2-0, and and big news for them, they just got Bowen Byram back from the Colorado Avalanche, and if, uh, if you don't think that's going to be a huge impact for them, Vancouver may have just become the favorites in the WHL. I think most people expected Byram to be back, but maybe not, you know, for the second weekend of the WHL season. I think a lot of people thought he might get that those nine games uh, in Colorado and might come back, you know, shortly before Halloween or something. Uh, so this is a pretty big get here for the Vancouver Giants. The Barry Colts, they are 2-0. and They move up to the uh, number seven spot after not being uh, ranked last week. And I shouldn't say that they're 2-0 because they actually played last night and they got thumped 10-0. They lose to the Owen Sound attack. So that number 7 spot on the top 10 ranking right now for Barry, uh, I wouldn't expect them to be in the top 10 next week. The Saginaw Spirit drop from 7-8. to eight. The London Knights uh, start off with an 0-2 record. They go from the number 1 ranked team to the number 9 ranked team. And Halifax also tumbles after an 0-2 start. They were number 6. They are now down to number 10. It'll change a lot between uh, over the first month of the season or so. Before we get to what's coming down the pipe, also uh, tell you that the USHL season is underway. The uh, Fall Classic going on right now in Pittsburgh this weekend. Uh, a bunch of teams played yesterday. There's a few teams playing uh, starting this afternoon on uh, the Friday the 27th. And uh, that'll go right through the weekend in Pittsburgh. We'll talk about that uh, Fall Classic next week. On the show, I know a couple of people who are uh, in Pittsburgh taking that in firsthand. Now, the last six weeks on the Pipeline show have been uh, WHL heavy, and there won't be a WHL-focused uh, segment on the uh, program this week. Uh, if there was, it would be an in-the-dub segment. You can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League by going to dubnetwork.ca. You can uh, subscribe to your daily dose of the dub. There's also an OHL version now, too. OHL network and you can subscribe to that as well and that's one of the places where I saw the Ryan Merkley trade uh, being uh, discussed was at uh, OHL network. What we will have today is uh, a couple of CHL insiders and those segments the CHL insider segment is brought to you by the store next door. It's a company in Yarmouth Nova Scotia that is collecting as many broken hockey sticks as they can get their hands on and they take that junk and they turn it into some treasures as uh, they repurpose those sticks, make some really cool uh, items. If you got a man cave or a fan cave, maybe you own a sports bar or you just like to have some sort of themed furniture around, some really cool items that they make uh, out of the broken hockey sticks. Uh, go to the thestorenextdoor.ca, check out their uh, gallery, their, uh, their catalog as well. Everything from chairs and furniture to wall hangings, ballot boxes in case you're having raffles or something with your team or your school. Lots of lots of creative ideas that they have there. I recommend you go check that out. Okay, here is what's coming down the pipe today. We're going to have four guests on the show. We're going to start in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and Mike Sanderson, longtime broadcaster and uh, contributor to McKean's Hockey, and he's been on the Pipeline show for many years. Uh, he is going to help uh, set up the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League season for us, and we'll go from the Q to the Ontario Hockey League, and Brad Cogemilio writes for Sue Today also, does the CHL and OHL focus stuff for sportsnet.ca. We're obviously going to get a preview 
on the Ontario Hockey League with Brad. And, and funny, since that conversation I had with him, the Ryan Merkley trade has happened. And we talk a lot about Ryan Merkley in that segment. So you'll see how things, how quickly things can change, especially at this time of year. Uh, from there, we're going to get a, a great preview of the Canada West Conference of U-Sport Men's Hockey. And this is a, a level of hockey that I think is vastly underrated and uh, undercovered and potentially underscouted that uh, I think uh, we should talk about more uh, here on the Pipeline Show. So uh, Canada West, there's four conferences, Canada West, OUA West, East and West. Uh, West would be the Ontario side, uh, OUA East would be uh, Eastern Ontario and into Quebec, and then the uh, AUS, which is the Atlantic side. Those four conferences, um, the defending champ is uh, New Brunswick. They're from AUS. But Canada West, I would argue, is the strongest conference uh, from top to bottom. So we're going to take a look at uh, those eight clubs this year. And uh, Evan Dom, who is the uh, Canada West insider, as he's the marketing director for uh, the conference, uh, he's going to be my guest. And uh, known Evan for a while. He went to the University of Alberta. I was doing broadcasts. I was part of the uh, broadcast crew for the U of A Golden Bears hockey team back when the Pipeline show was just in its infancy. And Evan was around uh, the Golden Bears program then, and I know he uh, moved on and did some of the broadcasts as well after my tenure. Um, so he's well-versed in what happens at the uh, university sport level. So perfect guest to get on to preview the Canada West season. And uh, we will close things out today with an update on the Alberta Junior Hockey League. He hosts a new show called Inside the AJHL. So Tyler Uramchuk of TSN 1260, he will be the guest to close things out today. So a full slate of guests. And before we get to the show, I want to remind you about ProStockHockey.com. It's your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment, whether it's sticks and gloves and all the rest. And if you uh, check out their Twitter feed, that's uh, at ProStockHockey, they just got a bunch of uh, player gloves. Uh, the manufacturer is uh, Warrior. So those are all available now at uh, ProStockHockey.com. New goalie stuff showed up a couple of days ago as well. The stuff I'm looking at right now is actually from the L.A. Kings. Uh, gloves, blockers, leg pads. Uh, it's got Jonathan Quick's name right on it. So really cool. Check that out. If you've ever bought stuff from Pro Stock Hockey, let me know. Let me know what you got and uh, what you think of the process as well. But let's get to the show, and we're going to lead things off uh, with a, a preview of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with Mike Sanderson. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Down there by Zaboral. Puck comes free, Ward's clearing play to the line, it skips out to center, Valeno trying to break, shorthanded, Joe Valeno, penalty coming, Valeno deking, scores! Joe Valeno, shorthanded goal! Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Fine ham abounds, Mom. 
This is the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. We're going to head out to the East Coast, all the way to New Brunswick, and uh, get a somewhat of a preview of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League season. I know things have uh, just gotten underway, but uh, we've been so focused on the WHL that uh, we want to get caught up on uh, everything in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And uh, my insider today is uh, our good friend, Mike Sanderson. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Mike, how are you? Always my pleasure. It's a little rainy today, but it's not too bad. We had a really hot weekend, so um, certainly for those who may not be used to those September hockey starts, but uh, the weather it's going to get cold soon. Yeah, well, yeah, winter will be upon us, and you guys always get more, more snow than we do. The Maritimes always seem to – I was born out there, and I remember as a little kid, we used to have like four or five-foot snow banks. Is it still like that, or has the climate changed a little bit this, since then? Oh, it's been even more. The last couple of winters, we've had uh, nine and twelve foot high snow banks in certain spots. So uh, wow. they certainly don't miss us with the snow. That's for sure. <laughs> all right, let's get right to it because uh, I don't want to take up uh, all your time. Um, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is underway, and uh, any any early season surprises uh, thus far? I know a lot of teams might still have players away at NHL camps, so maybe we're not seeing the final rosters across the league right now. But after uh, the opening weekend, anything jump out at you? Um, not anything all that surprising. Um, the fact that all teams but four have a win, I think, is really encouraging for the league. And uh, I think that if you looked at the league on the way coming in, there isn't really a massive favorite this year uh, to enter into the league. It's a lot more wide open than it has been the last couple of seasons, which has really uh, helped out the league in terms of parity. Um, there isn't too many surprises that really jump off the page in terms of uh, – in terms of the standings, in terms of performances, there have been three hat tricks in the opening weekend, which I think is pretty cool. Hmm. Um, but other than that, uh, there there isn't anything all that surprising or noteworthy. You, you mentioned four teams without a win. That would be Victoriaville, Drummondville, Halifax, and Acadie Bathurst. There's also four teams without a loss. Uh, that would be uh, Sherbrooke, Cape Breton, Quebec, and St. John, all perfect uh, 2-0 and records uh, to begin the season. The name change in Cape Breton, uh, no longer the Screaming Eagles, just the Eagles. Uh, any insight into that? Is that a big deal, or is, uh, why why shorten the name? I think uh, the new ownership and the new ownership group that took over, uh, Mr. Irwin Simon and uh, his group, I think they really wanted to make a stamp and a change of direction uh, for the Cape Breton uh, Eagles. Now Eagles, I almost said it, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but when you talk about uh, the team in Cape Breton, they haven't been able to do a whole lot in particular in the playoffs over the last few years, and there's in the market, there's a lot of unrest. It's a lot like how Charlottetown was before Jim Holton uh, made his debut there, where, you know, in the market, there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of groundswell of uh, fans who were frustrated with the fact that, you know, whether the team is good or the team is bad, they weren't getting results. And, you know, you bring in a new ownership group, kind of change the look a little bit, kind of change the, uh, the, the mindset of the team, kind of change the look of it. And uh, that includes new, a new logo. The uniform hasn't changed a whole lot, but a new logo can kind of change the mindset as well. And you look at this Cape Breton Eagle team, and they look pretty well set up to make a decent run this year. they got a new coach, and uh, they've got uh, a lot of the depth that we've seen them have uh, over the last couple of years, but it could prove fruitful for them this year. How many teams did have uh, a coaching change uh, from uh, last season, Mike? Uh, I've got three, so that includes Cape Breton. Uh, Jake Grimes takes over there. He's from uh, the Ontario League, and he's been on Hockey Canada's radar uh, for the last couple of seasons. He's probably got the most pressure uh, out of all the uh, coaches that take over of the three, I guess, uh, just because Cape Breton 
the, the market is expecting something. You have new ownership that's really pumped some money into the team. It's been great to see. Uh, but they also have a lot of depth, as we've said, and Kevin made at least seeing goal. And uh, they've got a lot of forwards up front that can score. Uh, so we're going to see what Jake Grimes can put together. Of course, they've had a really good start in starting off 2-0, and uh, scoring nine goals is really encouraging. Uh, we don't know enough about Jake Grimes to really identify how Cape Breton's going to play and how it will be different for Macandre Dumont, but uh, certainly uh, a guy on Hockey Canada's radar, a guy with Hockey Canada pedigree, uh, you, you can't deny that that kind of kudos and that kind of endorsement. So certainly uh, he's going to be put in a good position. And with new ownership, he's going to be put in a position to succeed. While there's big pressure, there's certainly a lot of support for him uh, in Cape Breton uh, to put the Eagles in a position where they can command some attention, win a round or two possibly, and see how far they can go. Uh, the other two new coaches, uh, you've got John Goyens and Bay Camo, uh, really the only Quebec opening that was available. And John Goyens is uh, a coach who's made a lot of waves in midget AAA in Quebec, uh, coaching at Lac Saint-Louis, the Lions, for the last 10 years. And let's just run down a list of a couple of players who he's coached in those last 10 years. Mike Matheson, who's now playing in Florida. Ryan Culkin, Will Carrier, uh, Anthony Duclair, Jonathan Drouin, Max Fortierno, Durando, Joe Valeno, all guys who came through the Lac Saint Louis system while he was coaching there. Uh, so certainly you, you look at pedigree at the major AAA level, there aren't too many teams that consistently pumped out players like John Goyens did at Lac Saint Louis. And you can talk about his advantages of being on that team, which I suppose in terms of midgets, probably a bigger a bigger market team, I guess, would be the, the comparative way to put it. But he was putting out five or six Q guys every year. So, you know, you, you can't really deny his ability to develop talent because it's one thing to bring talent to midget AAA, but you've got to get them the right exposure. You've got to put them in the right position to succeed. And uh, clearly he was able to do that over the last 10 years. And for the last couple, he was in kind of the carousel of when would he – end up coaching in the queue. I don't think it was an if, but it was a when for John Goyens. And this was the only Quebec opening that came up in, uh, in terms of in the province of Quebec. So um, it's a bit of a more difficult spot for him. It's not a ready-made position in Bay Como where they just had a run that finished in disappointment, losing the first round last year. Uh, they really start their year zero of a rebuild this year. They've got some talent in their lineup, but I wouldn't expect it to stay there over the length of the year. Um, so he's going to be in a spot where he's really got a woo players in he's really got to put players in a position to succeed but at the same time he can kind of mold his own game uh with the players and the and uh, the team that's coming in now with that big commode team where they're going to be starting another build um the last new coach is in halifax uh that's jean-jacques daigneault is going to take over there uh don't really know what to expect you gotta love his his experience that he brings to the table he's been an assistant coach uh, with a couple of different nhl teams and uh, certainly he had an extensive uh, career in the National Hockey League, so uh, playing with a number of different coaches, coaching with a number of different coaches, his his experience in terms of behind the bench and sitting on the bench and playing um, certainly bring uh, some encouraging notes, but he's never been a head coach before at any level, so it'll be interesting to see what he does, and you look at Halifax's setup, and it's not necessarily through a fault of their own, but this is their fifth coach in five seasons, um, so if you look at their history, Don Ducharme went to Drummondville to stay, to be closer to home, and now he's in Montreal with the Canadians. Uh, Andre Touringy went to Ottawa to be closer to home, and now he's uh, with the 67s. You can't deny either of those, and certainly they're both great coaches. I think they expected Jim Midgley to stay longer than the one year he stayed there, and uh, Jim Midgley's a good coach. It just wasn't a fit that year. And then Eric Veillier last year, where kind of a higher gun mercenary coach while you're hosting the Moral Cup, you need a guy with pedigree, you need a guy with experience, and certainly Eric Veillier brought that to the table. Now you've got a fifth coach, 
And for some of these players that are in there, you've got that fifth coach. You look at someone like Jockton Cheney, who retired before training camp opened. Um, this would have been his sixth coach in his junior career. So, uh, you know, that uncertainty, that inconsistency uh, isn't always the best on players because, of course, you've got one coach that want a player to play a certain way. You've got another one that may want him to play a different way. And after a while, sometimes you may have too many voices in your head in terms of uh, development of who you listen to and who you don't want to tune anybody out, but, you know, who's credible and who isn't. But, you know, bringing Jean-Jacques Daniel, and I think he wants to bring stability and through no fault again of Cam Russell or Bobby Smith. Um, I think they want stability in that position as well, while Halifax, uh, much like they come always, starting another build, and they've got some good young players in their lineup. So, uh, you know, those are the three new coaches, and I think all three of them are in positions where they can succeed, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how those teams respond. Mike Sanderson, my guest, longtime broadcaster in the queue, also writes for McKean's. Uh, Mike, uh, the defending uh, champions, not just in the queue, but defending Memorial Cup champs as, as well, in uh, Roy Naranda. Mario Pula, are you a little bit surprised uh, that he didn't get an opportunity at, at the next level? And, and what are you expecting from that club in uh, in terms of a uh, title defense this year? Um, uh, in terms of Mario Pugliot, uh he's proven everything he needs to prove at the Q level. I mean, you look at the fact he's won a title with Bathurst. He's won two Memorial Cups now, uh, certainly with Bathurst and now with Ruan Aranda. Um, I think he's a guy who is somewhat content of being at the Q level, and I don't think it's not a desire to move forward, but, um, you know, I think he's happy where he is. I'm, I'm sure he received a couple of offers, but I think he's in a position where he can, he can kind of sit on the right one a little bit and, uh, and see what he can do. He's a little bit comfortable. Um, but in the case of the Huskies, um, they need draft picks. And this is just the reality of being that strong a team last year and making some moves to pick up some players and shore up uh, the holes they had depth-wise. Um, if Noah Dobson comes back, they've got the number one player on the market, certainly, uh, in terms of being available for trade. They may already have the number one player available for trade, or at least in the top couple, and just now Chardon as well, uh, defensively. So they'll look to trade a few players, recoups and draft picks. They don't have uh, anything above a fifth-round pick for the next three drafts. So um, they're going to look to pick up some draft picks, and uh, they could be in a decent position at Christmas, um, either way, because the West, the Western Conference, much like last year, doesn't look all that strong, especially uh, on the top end. So in the case of the Huskies, they could be in a pretty good position uh, at Christmas, and maybe they decide to continue forward with it. But they cast off a lot of players from the Memorial Cup winning team, and uh, I think we'll see them continue that just to pick up and recoup some of the draft picks that are available. Zach Emmons is starting goalie. I don't think he's going to go undefeated this year like he did last year. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think he's a pretty solid option. There's a lot of good goalies in the queue this year. Mike, uh, at the start of this, you, you said there does, doesn't does seem to be a, a clear-cut favorite uh, this year uh, in the queue, but is there sort of you know a, a group that's uh, uh, clearly above everybody else, maybe four or five teams, and, and at the opposite end of the spectrum? You, you mentioned it's going to be a, a bit of a, a rebuilding year for the Huskies, but anybody else that's going to be you know near the bottom that uh, you think is going to be in for a long season it might be just trading pieces away? I think uh, in terms of who's at the bottom, it could be a whole number and host of teams, and we'll get to that in a sec. But if you you want to talk about what's at the top, I think two teams really identify themselves either through urgency or through talent as maybe the top couple of teams. You look at Shikudami. Shikudami is young. They've got a lot of good young players in their lineup. And William Dufour, Théodore Andrix Lapierre, three guys who potentially could all go in the first round this year. Uh, and they're big assets that they could make a move to pick up players 
and kind of use them as leverage and trade them later uh, if they choose to be a contender this year. They've got three first-round picks, which is ammunition they can use to pick up more players. Uh, Alexi Shank's an underrated goaltender. I think he's very good and will prove to have some very good dividends for them. Adding Raphael Harvey-Pienaard and the fact that he comes back uh, from Montreal, I think, is a bit of a surprise maybe, but uh, the new captain uh, in Shikurumi is going to be a huge add. And, of course, we know what he has to line up having seen him uh, with the Ruiner and Huskies. And they also add uh, Ethan Crosman as well with Memorial Cup experience. So this is a very deep team. I think they need another minute eater or two on defense if they really want to go forward with it this year. But Shikurumi is definitely a team to watch. Uh, Beside that, you've got a team with maybe the most urgency to make something happen, and that's Ramuski because they have Alexi Lafreniere this year and very likely only this year as he is uh, pretty much right now probably the consensus number one pick uh, in terms of the uh, NHL entry draft coming up in June. So they need to make it happen this year because a pretty good chance he'll be in the NHL next year. So um is not as deep as Shakutami is. They lost a few veterans. Uh, Colton Ellis is a great goaltender. Can he do it all himself as well? Um, defensively, they're going to be hurting a little bit, and they don't have the most assets to make it happen. But um, through desperation and aggressiveness, we can, we've seen contenders built before, and Fels-Bosley has been around this block before uh, to put themselves in a position. I think they're the most desperate team to make something happen, uh, and we'll see what Ramuski does in order to take advantage of what should be likely Lafreniere's final year in the queue. Uh, Beyond that, there's a group of a couple of teams. I think you put Moncton and Cape Breton in that group. Moncton in particular, if Jeremy McKenna and Jonathan Espido were coming back, I think Moncton looks even better. Um, But losing Jeremy McKenna, who's going to play in Stockton this year in the Calgary Flames system, he signed an ELC. And uh, Jonathan Espido signed a contract with the Binghamton Senators last week. Um, Big losses for them in terms of what they hope to do uh, for contending. But they're, they're... I would expect Moncton to be very aggressive this year. Uh, John Torchetti uh, wants to make an imprint in his first full season in the queue, once again returning here with the Moncton Wildcats. Getting Olivia Rodriguez draft uh, is a big sign that certainly they want to contend. And uh, even losing those two veterans, they still have Mika Sear and Alex Ivanov up front. It's likely, though, still not confirmed yet that Axel Anderson will make an appearance here in Moncton. Uh, I put that probably as more likely than not, though, again, uh, until they're in the until they're in the uniform in the lineup, you never really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, losing those two veterans really does hurt their depth. Um, so I would expect them to be even more aggressive in terms of uh, acquiring players uh, to make themselves a bigger contender and go for it this year. Last year, I know when I pulled the audience uh, who they expected to lead the queue in scoring, Alexi Lafreniere was the uh, the runaway uh, vote-getter for that. Ended up finished tied for second and six points back of the of Peter Abadonato, who uh, ended up leading the league in scoring. But is he the odds-on favorite to to be that guy this year? Is this the year Lafreniere uh, leads the league in scoring? I think he's the odds-on favorite for just about any offensive award you can put together, be that in the Q or be that in the CHL. I think, you know, last year he showed certainly what he can do. And the year before, even in his rookie season, he showed uh, what he can do. I think it's his, it's his position to lose for sure. He's not surrounded necessarily by as much talent as he was last year, but We've seen Alexi Lafreniere pull stuff out of his hat that we haven't seen a lot of prospects pull out in terms of offensive talent. And uh, defensively, I think this year you'll see him make another step forward as he wants to show that he's not just an offensive player, but the offensive skills are very impressive for Alexi Lafreniere. He'd be my favorite uh, for, like I said, any of those offensive awards. I think uh, obviously he's the guy that uh, is number one front and center in this league. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about the differences in buildings uh, from what we have out here in the WHL to what's in the queue. And I know we've got a few NHL buildings here. And 
I know the Rempart's playing an NHL-sized building, and Halifax is a big barn. What's that new rink in Moncton uh, like in terms of uh, seating capacity? And I know there's a – was it open at the start of last year, or did it uh, open up shortly after the start of last year? No, it opened up uh, – I'm not quite sure exactly the date, but it was open for the uh, home opener okay. uh, for the Wildcats. They played the Sea Dogs, and I was doing that broadcast, and the uh, the opening ceremony we had to cover about 55 minutes on our opening broadcast. Wow. So uh, we – we we did what we could with that. Thankfully, I had uh, Will McLaren, a uh, a compatriot of mine, uh, on that broadcast. We were able to fill it, but uh, it was uh, it's a very impressive building. Certainly coming from the Moncton Coliseum, and I know Gee, you've talked about it too, where the lighting is uh, questionable at yeah. times in that building. Watching it on the webcast, and uh, certainly it's it's a building of its time. It opened in 1972, and uh, very utilitarian. Um, not many bells and whistles. Uh, so for moving from the Moncton Coliseum to the Avenir Center, it's just uh, a out-of-this-world eye-opening. I'm sure comparatively uh, moving from, from Rexall or Northlands or whatever it's called now to uh, Rogers Place downtown in Edmonton, I'm sure is the same idea. Uh, very similar uh, in that approach. Uh, the Avenir Center seats 8,800. Uh, it's very much an NHL ranking miniature. I talked to Trevor Georgie about it before that game, and he had said, you know, this is it's a very impressive building uh, when you talk about in junior, prepping players for the pros, it's playing in buildings like this that really do make a difference because the fans are right on top of you. And, and on top of that, it, it does look like the lower bowl of an NHL building. So, uh, you know, it's a major boost for the Q to have a building like this that hosts the team. Uh, it's a major selling point for the Wildcats and also the league as a whole that it shows that the, the league is to be taken seriously in terms of attention, in terms of the market. And uh, it's been a big boom with fans. The ticket sales have been great. And uh, for the Wildcats, uh, certainly it's helped them in, in player recruitment and player retention and all that stuff that you can expect uh, in a junior market. What did you say capacity was? Uh, 8,800. Okay. Is that third biggest then in the uh, in the queue, or is St. John bigger? Uh, it's third biggest. St. John is about 6,200. Okay. And that uh, you, you were telling me that got a name change, too. It's no longer Harbor Station? Yeah, it's no longer Harbor Station. It's now TD Station. TD stepped up and... Uh, Helped out the Sea Dogs in the city of St. John. Uh, Harbor Station uh, was named for the train station that was on its place, uh, but now uh, TD will take that naming rights for the next few seasons and uh, really help out again with the city and the team. Excellent. Uh, Mike, as always, a terrific uh, rundown of uh, what to expect here in the queue this year, and uh, I hope you don't mind if I uh, call you again probably sooner as opposed to later. Not at all. I always enjoy coming on here. Thanks a lot, and it's always my pleasure. No, Mike, the pleasure is mine. Always does a great job when he's on the show. That's Mike Sanderson. Uh, he writes for McKean's, and he's also uh, on the broadcast crew for the Moncton Wildcats and always provides a ton of information. And I love how the French names just roll off his tongue, being completely bilingual like that. I wish I could, uh, I wish I could pronounce the names uh, as smoothly as he does. Let me know what your expectations for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this year are, who you think the favorites are, who's going to lead the league in scoring, Fire those off to me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. We go from the Q to the Ontario Hockey League and uh, Brad Cogemilio from Sue Today and Sportsnet.ca. He's the guest. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, this is Drew Doughty of the Guelph Storm. Storm on the power play here. Teed up by Doughty. Scores! Hat-trick goal for Drew Doughty. 4-0 Guelph Storm. You're listening to the Pipeline Show.
there's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. We go from the Q to the OHL. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, everybody. Keith Flaming with you. And uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League season obviously uh, kicked off last weekend, as it did here in the WHL, and much the same in the Ontario Hockey League, as uh, most teams have played a couple of games. There's a handful of only played one game on uh, opening weekend, but there are uh, five teams, I believe it's five. Oh, actually, there were several teams still with uh, unblemished records uh, in the OHL. Uh, let's maybe uh, look closer at those, and to, to help us uh, do that is uh, my guest, Brad Cogemilio from Sue Today and also from uh, Sportsnet.ca. Brad, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, my friend. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Keith. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. It's always good to it's always good to chat about uh, about junior hockey. Well, a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you again. Any surprises on opening weekend, or it's just a one weekend of play, so we shouldn't uh, read too much into anything. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I I feel like that's probably the more accurate statement. And you know, it, again, it's it's early. I mean, you look at uh, you know you look at some teams that you know maybe struggle early on. And um, you know, I, I I take a team like London. I mean, London's a uh, you know a group that maybe you know they gave up uh, they gave up a good chunk of goals on opening weekend. But that's a team that you know always seems to get it figured out. So. You know, I, I I think you can read a little bit into opening weekend. Um, you know, in terms of you know things getting started, but um, you know, I I feel like it's it's one of those situations where you know it's probably easier to just say, hey, you know what, this is opening weekend. You know, you get a little taste of of what to expect, but you know, let's face it. I mean, they, I feel like Eric Wall would put it best in. Uh, from Flint when he said uh, Friday night after their game in the Sioux, hey, it's only one game. Um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, 67 more to go at that point. So, you know, you can, you can start reading into stuff. But, again, teams are, you know, still getting guys back. Like, you look at a team like Flint, mm-hmm. you know, they're, uh, they're, you know, they're hoping to get Ty Delandria back from, uh, from Dallas camp. And, you know, that, that's a team that's got, you know, higher expectations for themselves this year. So, you know, it's, it's still very early. You know, you get a little early taste of things. But, you know, that's a great thing. There's still a lot of hockey left to go. Are there uh, other big name guys who are still away at NHL camps that are expected to eventually come back? Uh, I, I feel like a guy like Barrett Hayton. Kind of my gut feeling is that he's going to wind up back in junior uh, from Arizona camp and wind up back in the Sioux. Um, you know, he's probably one of the one of the bigger bigger names. Um, you know, there, there's a whole situation with Ryan Merkley and, and Peterborough that mm-hmm. you know 
if and when he gets sent back to junior, you know, Peterborough's looking at moving him. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's been an interesting situation to kind of keep an eye on and just, you know, see what's gone on because that was a situation where, you know, they bring him in and, you know, they had a little bit of high hopes um, last year. And, you know, again, that's a team that, uh, you know, they could be, you know, could be in decent shape this year. And, you know, whether Merkley comes back and stays in Peterborough or they do end up moving him, you know, that could be a big help for a, you know, for a team that maybe wants to, you know, wants to try to make a little bit of a run that, you know, let's say they move Ryan Merkley early in the year that, you know, even though they're trying to move him, it may not get a full value for, a, you know, a guy as skilled as he is. You know, they're still going to get probably a decent little package for him. And, you know, if they get a handful of picks for him, those are picks that they could potentially, you know, if they want to make a run, those are picks that they could potentially move the trade deadline for, you know, for a big name. And, you know, that, uh, you know, that could put them in, in, in good shape, whether it's down the road or whether they decide to make a move. So it's, that's going to be interesting that, you know, again, the Sioux, it's, it's the same type of situation. There's, you know, some talk that, you know, maybe if the Greyhounds aren't, uh, you know, aren't in a position to contend, maybe they move Barrett Hayton. So if he comes back, you know, that kind of, you know, forces them to make some adjustments in terms of what they want to do as well. So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, if and when some of these guys come back. Brad, go back to Ryan Merkley for a second, because some of the people hearing this uh, conversation might not have all the details on, on gotcha. what's happening. Um, I mean, this is a guy you go back to the 2018 draft, and there was he was kind of a divisive player then. About you know, there's some right. issues he has, really talented player, but there's some baggage there. What's happened for for him in the OHL, and who's to blame? Is there blame to go around? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, and, it, and that's the thing. It has been a you know, it's almost been a strange situation because he comes into the league with a lot of fan fanfare, you know, as far as you know, being a high end, you know, highly skilled and. You know, he's the defense. He's the type of defenseman that a lot of teams want in the sense that, you know, he's an extremely good puck-moving defenseman. He's extremely skilled. But, you know, he comes in and, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of talk that, you know, maybe there's character issues or off-ice issues. And, um, you know, he ends up in Guelph and, you know, things kind of, you know, kind of go sour there. They move him last year and, you know, end up going on to win the OHL title. And, you know, again, it feels like it's kind of the same situation in Peterborough where, you know, it almost feels like he's worn out his welcome in cities. And, you know, I, I it's, it's, it's hard in the sense that, you know, I don't know the kid personally, but, right. like, it feels like, you know, it, it just feels like everywhere he's gone, there's, you know, there's been this issue. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate because of how talented he is. And, you know, if you're the San Jose Sharks, you're looking at this kid and, you know, let's face it, like you said, it, it was talked about at the NHL draft how skilled he was but there was the off-ice issue. There was, you know, kind of the awkwardness or the character issues. Um, you know, so this is a kid that, you know, I, I I hope whatever exactly the issue is, it gets figured out because, you know, this is a kid that's, you know, got a bright future ahead of him. You know, he could be, a, you know, he could be a pretty good defenseman at the NHL level in terms of his skill, you know, if you can get all that extra, you know, baggage or issues figured out. Um you know, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, um, you know, and especially for Peterborough. I mean, like I said, they, you know, they bring him in last year and they, you know, they have high hopes for, you know, what he could bring to the team. And, you know, you can't dispute how good the kid is on the ice. I mean, you know, as far as skills, skill goes, you know, he's definitely one of the more talented defensemen out there. It's just, you know, whatever this off-ice issue seems to be or whatever this issue seems to be, you know, kind of needs to get corrected and needs to get corrected ASAP. 
Brad Cogimilio from Sioux Today and Sportsnet.ca is my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we uh, look ahead to this season in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, how many coaching changes have there been from last year? Certainly the the uh, the move with the, the Barry Colts and getting Warren Reichel was one that I I didn't see coming. And uh, even that the whole situation uh, with Windsor and, and, and Reichel selling the his did he sell the is the team completely sold to like new ownership or did he does he still I guess he couldn't retain portion of it right yeah and and uh, as far as i know i mean it's basically new ownership there that was a whole interesting situation because there were there were rumors that there was another group that was in that was going to end up getting the team and you know it ended up it ended up switching groups um yeah so so warren's completely basically completely out of the picture in windsor now it's uh you know a new ownership group there and you know like you said that was an interesting situation him ending up in barry in terms of you know, in terms of how it played out, I mean, Dale Howardchuck, you know, who's who's done a great job in Barry over the years that he's been there, you know, ends up, you know, the Colts announced that he, uh, you know, he has to take a step back from coaching for the season, you know, because of health issues. And, um, you know, it was, I, I, I think I can speak for a lot of people and say, you know, and saying that that was a surprise that Warren Reichel ended up there, especially when you go back and there's, you know, there was a bit of history between Warren Reichel and, the Colts organization when they drafted Warren's son in the OHL draft uh, a handful of years ago now. And, you know, there was a whole kind of battle there between the two clubs. And um, so it's, it, it's almost kind of funny how it kind of comes full circle in a sense with, uh, with Warren ended up ending up in Barry, but I like the move. I mean, I, I, that's a Colts team that, you know, if they can get some, you know, if their goaltending is, is, is solid, they, you know, they could be a team that's, you know, hard to play against. You know, there's some talented guys up front, and you know Ryan Suzuki, who's uh, I believe a Carolina pick, and uh, uh, you know they've got a they've got a pretty solid group there. Um, you know, so that could be a, that could be an interesting situation. You know, Warren's a super intense guy, so I'm sure uh, you know I'm, I'm sure he'll have that group ready to play on a, on a nightly basis. And I mean, it's been for the most part. I mean, it's you know it's been status quo as far as coaches. There hasn't been. You know, it hasn't been like other years where there's been a, a, a ton of movement. You know, Hamilton kind of shifted things with uh, with Vince Lays taking over as head coach, although uh, David Matos, who was the head coach there last year, is still in the organization as an associate coach. Again, that was a similar situation to the Dale Howard chat set up that uh, David Matos had some health issues last year. He missed some time. He, uh, he passed out on the bench early in the year last year. And actually, ironically enough, I believe it was in a game against Barry. Um, so it kind of ties in with with the Howardchuck, but you know David Matos has uh, you know has a health scare last year, so he's kind of taking on a secondary role as an associate coach, so he can uh, you know he can keep an eye on his health as well. And I think Vince Lays will do a uh, do a good job there. He's a he's a bright young hockey guy as well. So you know those are kind of two of the two of the bigger ones in terms of how the uh, how the circumstances played out as far as coaching. All right, Brad, let's uh, look at the teams to watch for this year. Uh, maybe in the Western Conference, are there two or three teams that are clearly uh, above the rest of the field, or do you expect a lot of parity this year in the O? I, you know what? I, th- I think there's going to be some parity. Um, you know, in the West, I like uh, I like Saginaw a lot. That's a team that even though they lost a couple of high-end guys and, you know, and Ryan McLeod, no one tip it, that's a team that's still got some, you know, some high-end skill. Cole, Cole Perfetti's obviously a guy everyone's talking about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the NHL draft next summer. Um, you know, that's, a, you know, a group that, uh, you know, their goaltending could potentially be really good. Uh, Tristan Lennox is a young kid, but, 
you know, he was kind of pushed into a starting role in the playoffs last year. So he, he got some really valuable experience there. And, um, you know, that was a team that was great down the, uh, down the stretch last year and had a, a nice playoff run. And, you know, they've still got a pretty, pretty good group coming back. So that's a, you know, that's a team kind of to watch out for out of the West division itself. Um, you know, I, I feel like London, even though their opening weekend wasn't great, I feel like that's a team that's going to get it figured out. Um, you know, they're, they're a group that's, again, very skilled up front. You know, their goaltending Jordan Coy is a, a Vegas pick, and, you know, he's had a, a good run in junior hockey uh, as an OHL goalie so far. And, you know, it's a team that's maybe a little experienced as far as OHL experience on the blue line, but, um, you know, once that group kind of gets settled into the junior game, I think that's going to be a group that's, you know, going to be solid as well. I feel like, you know, I feel like those are kind of two teams to watch in the West. Um, you know, again, the Greyhounds are off to a good start here in the Sioux. Um, you know, that's a team that they're going to be tough to play against. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're, you know, their contender status, but, you know, they're a team that's probably going to give a lot of teams fits. They work really hard. So, you know, that's a team that's going to be tough to play against in the West as well. Uh, right now, and again, only opening weekend, but the uh, top 10 list uh, of scores in the OHL uh, pretty dominated by clubs out of the Eastern Conference. Uh, do you do you yeah. see the Eastern Conference maybe having a bit of a, a, a firepower superiority this year? Yeah, you know what I mean. I I feel like that that group this year is you know is high end, and I, I you know uh, again like you said, even though it is the opening only the opening weekend, I mean there's you know there's a lot of talent out there, and you know you look at uh, you look at Ottawa with a guy like Austin Keating, you look at Peterborough with a guy like uh, a guy like Nick Robertson, like you know there's a there's a good group of talent. Uh, you know we mentioned Ryan Suzuki, you know again Brand Clark, who's a, a rookie defenseman, I feel like could put up you know, could put up some decent numbers. He was really good in the preseason. So, you know, there's uh, there's some talent. And, you know, it's it's funny. There's always talk in, in the OHL that, you know, there are years where the Eastern Conference is a quote-unquote weak sister in the league. But, you know, I, I feel like this year that's, uh, you know, that's a group. Quentin Byfield's another guy who had a great opening weekend. And, you know, again, as a draft-eligible guy, he's going to have a huge year in Sudbury. So, you know, there's. Uh, I, I feel like this year is a, a year where there is, uh, like you said, a lot of talent over in the Eastern Conference. That you know, those games are. You know, even for me, even though I only get to see the Eastern Conference teams once a year in the Sioux, those are going to be teams that are going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, even on video and any chance I get, because you know there is, like you said, there is so much talent over in, in that conference. And uh, high end uh, guys for the draft this year. You mentioned Quentin Byfield. He's uh, just one of the one of the guys. Jamie Drysdale. Uh, I know I had a scout yep. on right after the. Uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup, and he said uh, he, he might be the first defenseman taken in the draft this year. Uh, tell me a little bit about Drysdale uh, with the Erie Otters. Yeah, he's you know what again, he's a kid who's off to. Uh, he had a five point night over the weekend uh, for Erie. He's a guy who's a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, again, extremely skilled, and you know he's uh, he's a guy that you know it, it's unfortunate with the distance between Erie and the Sioux. He's a guy that I only get to see live once. Uh, once a season, but he is so much fun to watch, whether it's, you know, in person or on video. And he's a, uh, you know, it, it, that wouldn't shock me if he was the first defenseman taken in the NHL draft next summer. I mean, he is, you know, for me, I feel like he's that good. Again, his, you know, he suits the the style of game that a lot of teams are going to. And, you know, in terms of puck possession and puck movement. And, um, you know, again, that's, you know, when I, when I look at the Sioux, that's the way this team's built on. And he's, He's the type of defenseman that the Greyhounds always bring in as that guy who can move the puck. You know, he, he's very skilled, and, you know, he's just a guy that's extremely confident with the puck. And, you know what, you can't ask for anything more. And, you know what, he's a kid that's, 
you know, it's going to be good defensively, I feel, too, as well. I think, you know, sometimes when you get guys that are that high-end offensively, sometimes you forget that, you know, the, that they're good on the defensive side of the puck as well. You know, I think his game's going to be really well-rounded, and he's going to be, uh, you know, again, he's going to be an extremely high pick next summer uh, in the NHL draft. The uh, first uh, top ten list out of the CHL that came out uh, on right before opening uh, weekend I had the London Knights as the number one team in the country, and the Ottawa 67s was the next club out of the OHL coming in number four, so the top team in the East. And if there's one thing we know, the preseason rankings uh, are always really dependable and super accurate. Uh, <laughs> and I say that tug-in-cheek, obviously, but um, you, you touched on the Knights. Are the Ottawa 67s that good? Should be they, they be considered uh, the, the top team uh, in, in the East again this year? Yeah, I feel like they are. Um, you know, I feel like that's a group again. They're, you know, even though they lose a guy like Ty Celebur, um, you know, that's a team that, you know, their defense is extremely experienced. It's extremely high end. Um, you know, I was, you know, I, I look at a guy like Noel Hoffemeyer in his OA year. I feel like he could be one of probably one of the top defensemen in the league. Um, you know, Kevin Balls, uh, you know, an NHL prospect and, um, you know, that's a, that's a group that their blue line is extremely better in. Um, you know, Cedric Andre may not get a lot of credit and goal for that team right now, especially after, like, they make the move for uh, Michael DiPietro last year, ahead, you know, ahead of the trade deadline. So, you know, you, you kind of forget that that's a kid that played in 40-plus games last year and had 30-plus wins. Um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, I, I think will be able to get the job done because he's still got an extremely good team in front of him. Um you know, offensively, I, I, I think they're, you know, I think they're one of the better teams out there, you know, in, in that regard as well. Um, you know, mentioned a guy like Austin Keating, uh, Marco Rossi, who's eligible for the draft this year, is another guy who's, you know, who's probably going to put up really good numbers this year as well. So, you know, I, I feel like they're the team to beat in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, you know, again, I mentioned Peterborough earlier. I feel like they're a team that, you know, might give them some trouble depending on how things, uh, you know, how things play out there. But, um, you know, as far as far as I'm concerned, I I went into the year thinking that, you know, that Ottawa's probably for me. I feel like Ottawa's the best team in the league right now. Um, I feel like they're, you know, even though they're coming off a year where they went to the OHL final, I feel like they're still, you know, they're still that good. Any other uh, stories that you're kind of following at least early in the season? You're kind of waiting to see how things play out. Yeah, you know what I mean. For me, kind of some of the interesting stuff, and I feel like it's. You know, it's almost this way, you know, in a, in a couple of the leagues across the CHL, just, you know, some of the interesting rule changes and stuff. Like I noticed last week, the Quebec League has an interesting thing on their icing rule that, you know, now it's, it, it's set up that it doesn't matter where you ice the puck from, you can't change, um, as opposed to just in the defensive zone. And, um, you know, the OHL has kind of tinkered with, uh, you know, tinkered with some of that stuff as well. Um, it hasn't been anything too major, but, I, I mean, for me, the you know the storylines kind of you know revolve around you know how good a Sagan are going to be in the West, and you know a lot of people have been high on them, and you know can Ottawa keep it up in terms of how you know how good they were last year? You know, again, everyone talks about the London Knights, and you mentioned they were you know the quote unquote top team in the in the country as far as rankings were concerned. You know, where is that team going to be uh, going to be this year? Um, you know, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And for me, you know, I, I filed a story for Sportsnet this week. Uh, you know, talking about the Flint Firebirds. That's a team that you know had basically a dismal year last year. I think they won 16 games last year. But you know, that's a team that's that's got high hopes for this year in the sense that you know they they feel like they could finish 
you know, around fourth or fifth in the Western Conference. So, I mean, it's still middle of the pack, but they feel like they could be close to a, a, a team that's battling for home ice. And, you know, that's a that's a, a drastic change for a team that went 17 games without a win to start the year last year. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a group that I think is going to be fun to watch. I saw them on opening night, and, you know, they're a group that can score goals. They brought in Anthony Popovich, who won an OHL title as a goaltender in Guelph last year. So, They've got some experience in goal. That's a that's a team that could be fun to pay attention to. You know, they're going to be extremely skilled. You know, their their group of defensemen is pretty solid overall. They've got got Vladislav Kolychonik, who's a Florida draft pick and signed uh, signed with them recently. So, you know, that could be that could be fun to watch. They could be kind of a you know a, a team that maybe kind of catches the hearts of people, so to speak, in terms of you know going from you know such a, a tough year last year to you know, to a team that's going to be pretty competitive here uh, in the OHL this year. Well, speaking of tough years, is there a club you you can foresee right now is like, oh, this is a rebuilding year for them, could be in line for that first overall pick next year? You know what, I, I feel like kind of Guelph's in, in that position after the amount of talent they lost, and then, um, you know, they dealt uh, Liam Howell to, uh, to Kitchener last year. He was a, he was a high-end offensive guy um, or, uh, last year for them, and you know, he ends up going to Kitchener uh, prior to the season. So, you know, that's a team that, you know, that isn't anywhere near as skilled as they were uh, were last year. So that's going to be a, be a tough year. I, like, I look at a team like North Bay and the Eastern Conference, that's probably, you know, they're probably one of those teams that, uh, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, there's some young talent there, but it's still developing. So that's going to be kind of an interesting situation. They're in a, in a tough spot. And, you know, I'm curious about Niagara right now in terms of, you know, that's a team that uh, they they went all in last year. You know, they've got a little bit of talent in Akil Thomas and Phil Tomasino, both NHL picks, Thomas by L.A. and uh, Tomasino by Nashville. You know, those are two guys that are going to be high-end guys, but, you know, there's a lot of talk about Akil Thomas potentially getting moved as a, as a 19-year-old this year. So that's a team that's probably going to take uh, take a step back as well, um, you know, and, and it's probably going to be uh, be a drastic step back from, from what they saw in St. Catharines last year. Prediction for a leading scorer in the league? You know what? I I, I almost feel like Cole Perfetti might be might be that guy. Wow. Like Tim wow. and Quentin by like, and as interesting as it sounds, like those are two guys that you know I I would not be shocked to see both of them in the top ten in the, the scoring race this year. Those are you know those are guys that are you know extremely extremely high end and um, you know I, I feel like Cole Perfetti like Cole Perfetti is basically you know, played on the first line in Saginaw last year as a 16-year-old. So, you know, he's a kid who's got enough skill that he could potentially, you know, he could potentially, and it, you know, it might be a, a little bit of a, a bold way to say it, but, I mean, he's a kid that, you know, could potentially be a, you know, be a top scorer in the league and, and you know, as a draft eligible. We'll watch for that. Uh, as always, Brad, terrific uh, rundown of uh, what we can expect in the Ontario Hockey League this year. Uh, looking forward to having you on again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Always enjoy it. That was Brad Cogemilio from Suit Today and Sportsnet.ca. And again, obviously that conversation taking place before the Ryan Merkley trade to the London Knights. I talked about that in the opening segment uh, of this show. So if if you might be one of those person people, if you might be one of those people that are only listening to this specific segment, you can do that. You can only listen. You can listen to individual segments or the entire show. You might want to go back to the opening segment of the show. Uh, because uh, I spoke uh, at length about the Ryan Merkley trade and uh, some of the the baggage that uh, people talk about when it comes to Ryan Merkley. So if you wanted to uh, get a little bit more information, I'd go back 
and take a listen to that if I was you. All right, we've done the Q, we've done the OHL. We're going to change gears a little bit, and we're going to talk a little U-sports. Canada West, in my opinion, the top conference in uh, Canadian University uh, men's hockey. We're going to zero in on that conference with the help of Evan Dom, who is the uh, Director of Marketing for the Canada West Conference of uh, U-sport hockey. A lot of former CHLers who are still continuing on their developmental hockey path using their CHL scholarship, and more and more we're seeing players out of U-sports earning pro deals and potentially getting to the NHL. Canada West preview up next here on the Pipeline Show. Pashnik with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them. Princeton Pashnik. Pashnik with a shot. He scores! Far down! Princeton Pashnik! Are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton Pashnik from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The puck's dropped on another WHL hockey season. This Saturday, your Edmonton Oil Kings go toe-to-toe with the Calgary Hitmen at Rogers Place. Don't miss your chance to see your Oil Kings live. Are you ready to rally for the next Battle of Alberta? Oil Kings, Hitmen. Saturday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Badass. It is badass. Really cool. Badass, yeah. We are back on the Pipeline Show, and uh, one of the things I, I mentioned uh, earlier this season is that I want to talk a lot more uh, U-sports hockey this year than we have uh, up to this point. Uh, we, we've spoken with a lot of players who have uh, gone through the WHL and then on to uh, play in university hockey and uh, and talk about you know more about their uh, their decision to pursue their academics using the WHL scholarship uh, and not looking at it more from a hockey perspective and just talking about the hockey. And I think U-sport hockey is uh, vastly underrated. So I want to uh, help to try to change that focus. So let's uh, let's talk about some U-sports hockey and uh, specifically out west here, Canada West, uh, which is, in my for my money, uh, the best conference in, uh, in U-sports uh, men's hockey. Uh, but we're going to uh, find out for sure what to expect this year. Communications and Marketing uh, Director for Canada West is Evan Dom. Uh, Evan, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Great to be here, Guy. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. A uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. I hope we can do this uh, throughout the season this year. And uh, exciting because uh, this weekend is opening games for this season uh, in Canada West action. And uh, I, I said at the start, maybe we're biased because we're out here, but uh, Canada West is the best conference in, in men's hockey in, in uh, Canadian University Sports, would you agree? Well, of course it is, Key. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not even close. Canada West is by far the best conference. I mean, there's lots of good there's lots of good players, and, and joking aside, uh, you know, it, it obviously is a very strong conference, and a lot of that comes from just the fact that there's so much talent in Western Canada that allows, you know, the Western Hockey League to be so strong, and then by virtue of that, Canada West to be strong from those players who want to stay close to home. So, you know, there's a lot of good programs across the country, but there's certainly no shortage of uh, excellent teams and excellent players in this part of the world. Now, in fairness, uh, AUS out east is is pretty strong as well, and you get to the national championship, and, and if it's not somebody from Canada West, it's usually somebody from AUS that's uh, coming away as national champs. Who is it right now, UNB, New Brunswick? 
Yeah, UNB beat Alberta last year in the University Cup down in Lethbridge. And like you mentioned, the AUS is always a very, very strong conference. And uh, they owe part of that to uh, some of the excellent uh, recruits that sometimes they're able to, to snatch out of the Western Hockey League. So mm. uh, they're an excellent conference as well. But, uh, you know, the WHL in Western Canada need to take a little bit of credit for their successes as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when does the first um, top 10 list come out for this season? Yeah, it'll come out next week. So, um Still waiting. Obviously, that we open up this weekend, and we'll get a sense of what uh, the top ten looks like at that point. And uh, you're going to have familiar faces, uh, familiar teams, I should say, in there. And I mean, UNB goes in as the, the defending national champ, so no surprise. I'm, I'm sure they'll be number one. And Golden Bears, uh, you know, lose to them in the national final and defending Canada West champ, so I'm sure they'll slot in at number two. And then there'll be some. Uh, jockeying amongst other teams, uh, you know, three, three through ten, but uh, I guarantee a one and two are, are pretty clear cut. Yeah. All right. Well, let's look at the the eight teams that are, make up uh, Canada West Conference in youth sport hockey uh, for the men, and uh, maybe we'll start with Alberta because that's uh, in the backyard for both of us. You work at the U. Well, do you work at the U of A, or is it, does U Sport have sort of a an office there uh, for for Canada West? How's that all work for you? Yeah, so Canada West, so the conference staff, we, we work remotely across Western Canada, so I'm based in Edmonton here, but, uh, yeah, not at the U of A, no affiliation with, with any of our member schools, so we work for, for the conference, uh, working for the members, but, uh, not, not based on any of the campuses, so we have, we have staff all the way from the lower mainland in Vancouver, uh, to, uh, a staff member in Saskatoon as well, so the only province we don't have a staff presence right now is Manitoba, but, uh, yeah, we we'll we'll work on that for our friends in that province. Now you went to U of A. I I know when I was broadcasting Golden Bears games, you were around, and of course your dad, uh, one of the highly highly decorated, most respected uh, coaches that has uh, gone through U sports. Uh, that'd be Rob Dom for the listeners that benefit. But uh, do you ha- is it hard for you to not be biased in favor of the U of A at times? Not really, Gene. To be to be honest with you, I've been you know he's been gone for so long and. You know, obviously, I did games for them, doing uh, color and a little bit of play-by-play for them over the years, and, right. and I'm an alum of the school, so there's a pride in, in the institution for sure. But you know, when you put on the conference hat, uh, I honestly don't find it that hard to separate it. I know people might find that hard to believe, but you know, I think a little bit of that goes back to my time when I was at the Edmonton Journal and I was covering uh, covering sports as a, as a sports reporter, and um, really tried to be unbiased and disconnect myself from it, and um, you know, not really, not really putting on that fan hats or that supporter hat at any point with any of our, with any of our programs or any of our sports, quite honestly. So it may come as a surprise to people, but I don't find it that hard not to, uh, you know, not to wear the green and gold on my sleeve. Well, let's get to know the, uh, the rosters for the, the University of Alberta this year. And I know much uh, was made of the recruiting class for the Golden Bears this year. And it was pretty uh, loaded, uh, impressive. A crop of players coming in, although they lost one just recently as uh, Griffin Outhouse, uh, who was a recruit, has now signed and turned pro with the Winnipeg Jets organization. Uh, th- is that is that a big blow to the Golden Bears? I mean, they still have Brendan Burke and, and Matt Berlin on the roster. I think it is a blow. Uh, Guy, I think that's going to be uh, a bit of a challenge for them. You know, they're used to having uh, the option of going to two goaltenders that I think they're, they're really comfortable with. And not to say that Matt Berlin won't turn into that guy, but you know, he, he's going to come in as a rookie, and, and Brennan Burke is clearly going to be the number one for the Golden Bears. But losing Outhouse, a, a goalie of his caliber, and obviously, you know, people at the pro ranks think he's a pretty good pretty good tender if he's getting the opportunity at that level. So 
they were counting on him to come in and play games for them right away. And uh, whether or not they were going to split it with, with Burke down the middle or how it played out, I think remained to be seen. They weren't a hundred percent on that. I don't think, but certainly when you lose a goaltender of that caliber, it's uh, it's going to be a setback and maybe not as much even this season, Gee, but down the road, I mean, they have Burke who's a fourth year guy who has experience the first couple of years he was with the program. He was excellent. Uh, a little bit of a step backwards last year with injuries and those type of things, but they were counting on outhouse to come in and play games right away and then become probably the undisputed number one goaltender, uh, depending on how his, his trajectory went at the U of A. So it, it is going to be a blow for them, no question. Now, just for the uh, benefit of the audience, so that uh, there will be some people hearing this that are, say, in the States that don't really know the ins and outs of uh, U-sport hockey, uh, a player can have how long is their eligibility uh, playing U-sport? Yeah, they can play up to five years. Five years. So it's different than the NCAA um, so when you lose a guy like uh, like Griffin Outhouse and potentially a five-year player for you, um, that's definitely a blow for sure. Is it too late now for the U of A to go out and find another goaltender? I mean, the season is this weekend. School's already started. So it's kind of there. It's a, a bit behind the eight ball. Yeah, I mean, at this point, unless they brought somebody in to, to join the team, maybe at Christmas, it, it would be a stretch. Um, I'm not even sure what the, the deadline is to, to enroll in classes at the U of A. I'd have to check. But uh, it's certainly... At this stage of the game, it's late to the party if you want to bring somebody in. So they would be looking at, in all likelihood, an addition at Christmas, if anything. Um, and I have no idea what's in the cards for them at the goaltending position, whether or not that's a, a re- realistic possibility. But um, if I were a betting man, I would say that Brendan Burke and uh, Berlin are going to be the two guys uh, for this season. And, you know, they'll take them as far as, as they possibly can. WHL heavy uh, throughout the roster uh, on the back end. Uh, Braden Chisholm's a, a freshman this year, but uh, just coming out of his WHL career, Ben Carroll, we know from his days with the Edmonton All Kings, it's uh, top to bottom. A former WHL players, who stands out on the uh, the roster for you, the U of A on the blue line for you? Well, I, I think there's a variety of guys on the back end Guy, that are going to be you know pivotal. I mean, when you look at their roster, they they still got a lot of good defensive players from previous seasons. Um, they've obviously lost a couple of guys that I think are going to cause some concern. I mean, Jason Frown was an absolutely outstanding defenseman for them over yeah. the course of his career. And now he's got an opportunity to play pro um, in China in the KHL. But in terms of defensemen, they've, they've got guys that they can lean on. Clayton Kirichenko is going to be a big one. Sawyer Lang is going to be a veteran guy that's going to, you know, get a lot of a lot of minutes for them and, and be really key. So if I had to pick a couple of guys, it would probably be Lang and, and Kirichenko and, you know, even a guy like uh, Ryan Rehill, who's who's played a lot of games for them and has turned into an excellent defender who is incredibly reliable uh, for them. So, you know, there's a variety of guys that are going to fill that void. But, you know, again, it's no different than at the junior level or, you know, at the NCAA level. You have guys that come and they have a really good career at the university level and then they move on. Um, That's just the reality of it. You don't have guys for six, seven years that you can build around. So the the couple of years, the three years that they had for I believe, uh, they'll take those any day of the week just because how good he was. And, uh, you know, next man up mentality really does apply at this level. Well, and there's been so many guys who have left to go on to, to, to pro hockey from the Golden Bears program. I mean, last year, Luke Philp and, and uh, Zach Sachenko have both gone uh, and left to play uh, in the, at least the American Hockey League uh, level this year. And a bunch of guys went over to China. You mentioned the, uh, the team in the KHL. Uh, Brandon McGee also went out there. Yeah, he did. And, and those are guys who have gotten an opportunity. And I know for Jason Fram, he, his goal is to, uh, you know, to play over there and potentially get citizenship and play on the Chinese national team at the, the Beijing Olympics. I think that's, 
a realistic goal for him. So, you know, you never know where the hockey world is going to take you. And uh, it's fascinating because a guy like Jason Fram, you know, coming out of junior, uh, probably was looking at pro opportunities. Oh, I know he was looking at pro opportunities and did have some experience at that level. And then he ends up at the University of Alberta, does an outstanding job, uh, continues to develop. And then, you know, doors open all over the place. And uh, he might be a, might be an Olympian because, uh, you know, in part because of his time at U of A. Lots of death up front for the Golden Bears this year. Uh, players, uh, well, Ryan Jeveny is a freshman again this year, and St- uh, Stephen Howery has been around. Both of those guys, uh, formerly of the Medicine Hat Tigers, as is Trevor Cox, uh, Grayson Polinchuk, we knew from the Red Deer Rebels. There's a lot of talent, again, for the U of A, and I guess we should be used to this by now, but um, this uh, it seems like this year's recruiting class may have even been a better, one of the better ones over the last decade, and that's saying a lot. Yeah, it's a strong recruiting class. It's a, it's a large recruiting class. It's deep. Um, you know, obviously they've, they've had some holes to fill with the departure of some of the guys from last season, like Luke Phillips, et cetera. And, um, you know, when, when you look at Alberta, it's always going to be, uh, guys from the Western Hockey League who, uh, put up decent to excellent point totals. Um, that's, that's kind of, it's not a surprise to see some of the players that they come out, that come out of the Western Hockey League to go to the U of A. Um, they've had a pipeline for, for many, many years now. And uh, really no surprises that they got some of the guys that they were targeting and, and really wanted to get. So uh, they'll have that depth. Um, you know, it's always fascinating to see how guys make the jump from from junior to, to university because you are playing against older guys. Um, you know, you're playing against 24, 25-year-old guys in some cases. And that's a lot different than playing against 17-year-olds. So putting up points as a 20-year-old in the Western League, not always a guarantee that it'll translate to points uh, at the Canada West level, but uh, it certainly, you know, it never hurts to have players who have the the scoring and the assist capacity that some of these guys do uh, joining your program. Who's on the bench for the Bears this year? Ian Herbers is, is behind the bench. Uh, he was with, with the program last year. He re- rejoined after a couple of seasons as an assistant in the NHL there with the Edmonton Oilers, so he'll be back again here. This will be his fifth season, I believe, uh, behind the bench for the Bears uh, combined. So um, obviously a guy who's had a lot of success at this level, um, and, and has continued the program in the right direction. All right, let's move to uh, the Saskatchewan Huskies. And, and I guess traditionally, I know I think everybody is expecting an Edmonton and Calgary rivalry, and, and that certainly does exist. But the, the uh, Huskies and the Golden Bears don't like each other very much either, fair to say? Yeah, that's an understatement, Guy. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they've been the, the preeminent teams in the conference really over the last, well, since the mid-1990s. And uh, they've gone at it a lot in the uh, Canada West final over the years. And there is no love loss between the two programs. Um, you know, playing a, playing another team for a championship right, year after year after year, which is basically what it's been like, uh, that, that breeds some bad blood. And uh, I, could, I can guarantee you that the Huskies probably would say that they, they don't like the Golden Bears and uh, the Golden Bears uh, vice versa. So there's, there's certainly... It's it's one of the greatest rivalries in university sport in Canada, not, let alone men's hockey. So it's one of those matchups where every time the uh, two teams bring out the best in each other, and uh, sometimes they bring out a little bit of uh, bad blood as well, which I think goes hand in hand, quite frankly. And and honestly, that rivalry it's not due to geography, like a lot of rivalries are. It's it is just because they always seem to be the two best, generally speaking, the two best hockey teams, uh, at least in the conference, if not in the country, at times. Um, so they're always meeting up at the end of the year, and and that breeds that that rivalry, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's one thing to play games against 
a team that is a geographic rival and, and that's great. And, you know, in Alberta here, we talk about the battle of Alberta and the different sports. Well, sometimes it's not much of a battle depending on how good the two teams are, right. um, you know, in hockey or whatever sport. But when you talk about true rivalries, it's teams playing, re- playing repeatedly when it matters most. And that's what these two teams have done for, well, the better part of my entire life. Who are some of the standouts on the roster for the Huskies? Well, it starts and ends in terms of, you know, the, the key pieces for them in goal with Taron Cozen. Um, you know, he had one of the best, one of the best seasons in net, uh, for any goaltender ever in Canada West history last year with five shutouts and Zach Sachenko for Alberta both had five shutouts, which was uh, a single season record. Uh, Cozen was the goalie of the year, both at the conference level and nationally with U Sports. He's, he's a big time player for them and he's going to determine, Really, quite frankly, I think what kind of season they have. He's coming in undisputed, probably uh, the the best player in the conference, I would say, this season. Um, he's certainly the best goaltender on paper entering this campaign. So it's going to be a huge it's going to be a huge uh, huge load for him. He'll play the vast majority of their games, but um, he's he's the uh, stick that stirs the drink, so to speak, in Saskatoon and for the Saskatchewan Huskies, no question. Uh, Blue Liners, I know, uh, well, again, lots of WHL talent on, on this roster, but uh, I don't know if you have the roster right in front of you or not, but uh, who are some of the names that jump off the page at you? Yeah, well, and again, I like to kind of start with some of the guys that they lose and one of the players that they lost last year who was, you know, uh, an emotional leader, uh, a very emotional guy on the ice was Jesse Forsberg on the back end. He was a key player for them and uh, certainly is, is going to be a, a loss for them in, in a variety of different ways. You know, they've got they've got a bit of a mixed bag on the back end in terms of some young guys and some older guys in terms of some veteran players that are, are going to take some big loads. It's Colby Harmsworth for, for Saskatchewan is one of the guys that's going to be a key, uh, you know, key defender for them. Shane Collins, who's a second-year player who is going to take on an extended role with them this season, is going to be uh, a player to watch for them as well. Um, and then, you know, they have a variety of, of other guys who are going to slot in there. But I, I would keep my eye on a guy like like Collins to take on more of a role. Kendall Fransou is another second-year guy who had a, had a good rookie year for them. Um, so they've got they've got some second- and third-year players that I think they're going to expect some bigger things out of. Gordy Ballhorn's another one, former Kelowna Rockets. So uh, that that sort of portion of their team, those second- and, and third-year defensemen, um, are going to be key for them uh, moving into this season. Is uh, Dave Adolph still uh, on the bench there? Yeah, absolutely he is. And entering his 27th season wow. uh, as the bench boss for bench boss for the Huskies, so he's been there a while, and uh, yeah, he's experienced lots of uh, lots of those rivalry games between the Bears that we were talking about earlier. Oh, I always loved uh, the conversations uh, with him before games uh, between the two teams, and uh, sometimes the conversations after the games, uh, but between those two teams uh, as well. Uh, very entertaining interview for sure. Uh, all right, let's go to uh, the next club, and maybe we'll stop with the uh, the Calgary uh, Dinos uh, down at the University of Calgary, and uh, and again, uh, what you're expecting from them, and and some of the notable names on their roster. Yeah, well, I mean, Calgary finished third last year in the conference. They had a solid season. They won 18 games. Um, it was really there was a distinct pack for Alberta and Saskatchewan in the regular season, and then Calgary was in sort of that that chase position, and. For them, the, the big key is going to be how do they replace some of the offense that they lost from last season with Riley Sheen, who led the conference in scoring last year, was really an excellent player for them and, and did everything right for them. I should say he led the second in the league in goals, I should say, sorry, but 
Luke Phelps for Albert obviously led the league and, and has signed uh, pro with, with the Calgary organization. But Riley Sheen was a guy who was far and away their best offensive player by, by double-digit points. So how they replace him is going to be uh, going to be really key. Um, one of the guys that they're going to lean on to try and do that is, is a fourth-year guy, Logan Fisher, who uh, is going to need to build on a 20-plus point season from last year. So, you know, offensively, there's question marks. Uh, goaltending, they should be fine with Matthew Greenfield back in the net. Um, you know, he had a he had a decent season for them. Really, last year it was it was interesting. He, you know, the goaltending across the board in the conference was was frankly excellent. Um, There's a number of guys who had um, really good seasons. Greenfield, Jordan Paperni, kind of split time in Calgary. So uh, how they how they're able to divvy up that that load is going to be interesting to see how that shakes down as they were right down the middle 14 games apiece. Um, but the offensive piece is, is going to be key for Calgary if they can replace that that scoring from Riley Sheen. He was a huge part of what they did, uh, a 19 goal scorer. So that is really a question mark entering the season. And I men- mentioned Fisher is going to be a guy they rely on to try and make up some of those point totals, but. Uh, it's going to be a, a score-by-committee situation for the Dinos. Greenfield, interesting uh, guy from Parkland, Florida, played in the OHL with the Kitchener Rangers, if memory serves, and uh, finds his way out out west here to play at the University of Calgary. Interesting uh, uh, career path for him. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Papernia as well. We know him well, Edmontonian kid. Uh, only went a couple of years to Calgary. He was done after last year? No, Jordan Jordan should be back. I, I believe he's back for the Dinos this season. So Okay. Um, I, I'm almost certain that he has eligibility left. I'm just trying to pull up the roster to make sure of that, but I, I'm almost certain that he'll be back for the Dinos. And like I said, he split right down the middle with with Greenfield last season, so it's going to be a situation where, you know, we've that that's kind of become the norm for most of the teams is they've tried to uh, to, to even out the load in most cases between their goaltenders and have two guys that they can give an opportunity to and. Um, Paperni has actually done this season for the Dinos, so he won't be back. But um, it's a situation where, you know, it's it's not the norm that a guy is going to play uh, twenty plus games. That's just not the reality of of uh, the situation. And in fact, you know, last season uh, there were a couple of teams that rode rode one guy for the vast majority of the year. Uh, Saskatchewan was one with Cozen. Uh, Byron Spriggs in Manitoba, Houston in Lethbridge, and Macaulay in Regina, and that that was that was a rarity in terms of the last you know five or six seasons where teams were much more keen to to try and split it and, and give guys an opportunity, uh, whether that's between two or three netminders. Evan Dom, my guest, who co- who's coaching in Calgary, uh, Evan? Yeah, Mark Howell's back. Uh, he's been there for over a decade, so um, he continues to guide that program and. Uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting season for the Dinos without a guy like Riley Sheen, but they, they're always in the mix. They're always in, uh, you know, that 3-4 spot. They're a competitive program. Obviously, there's lots of talent in Calgary that they can draw from, so uh, they'll be in the hunt again this season like they, they almost always are. The uh, a team that finished fourth last year in Canada West was uh, the UBC, University of British Columbia. Uh, when I look at their roster, first name that jumps out, goaltender, Patrick Day, former Edmonton Oil King, and there's a, a few of them, as a matter of fact, on this club, uh, guys who were uh, Oil Kings uh, in their uh, WHL days and uh, uh, now find themselves uh, at UBC. Um, I'm trying to remember the coach's name when I was uh, covering uh, the, the Golden Bears. 
Uh, now I can't remember. Probably Milan Dragasivic. That, that's it. I knew there was something like Dragon was somewhere in that name, but I couldn't remember exactly how it was. Um, is he still uh, coaching UBC? No, head coach for UBC in his uh, fourth year now is Sven Boonshan. So former NHLer, uh, German right. national. He played in Vancouver for the Canucks, uh, settled in, in the Vancouver area, and is now you know multiple seasons into his uh, head coaching career there with the UBC Thunderbirds. And He's done a nice job over the four seasons. He, he's got, uh, you know, he's got a winning percentage north of 500. Um, the last couple of seasons, the recruiting classes, in, in my opinion, have been uh, pretty strong and then have improved from, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So he's uh, he's done a good job with that program in terms of getting some momentum going in the right way. Other than uh, the Oil Kings that I mentioned in Patrick Day, Colton Keller, former Oil King captain, uh, Quinn Benjafield, QB14, was on the club Last year with Edmonton, uh, who else are the uh, the the uh, standout players uh, on the roster for UBC, the Thunderbirds? Yeah, I, I I would have to say that they're they're top player and a guy who I think probably will have an opportunity to play pro if he wants to down the road is Jarrett Smith, uh, defenseman. He's in his fourth year, uh, just shy of twenty points last year for them. Um, you know, he was fourth in, in conference scoring in terms of defenders. Really good defense defensively. Um, hard to play against in his own zone, makes a good first pass, you know, sort of the prototypical things that you're looking from a defenseman. He, he was among the best at that position last year in the conference. Um, last season when, when the U sports all-star team played against the Canadian world junior hopefuls there, he was on that team. So he's a real, really rock solid, uh, guy for them and, uh, should, I mean, he'll get massive minutes for UBC, um, and, and, I'm sure he'll handle them well. He's an experienced player, obviously, in his fourth season and uh, incredibly reliable, and he'll get the tough assignments against uh, the other team's best uh, offensive players. That was Jared Smith, four-year uh, Seattle Thunderbird uh, as well. Um, all right, four other teams to, to touch on, and I know I've already kept you a long time, uh, but don't want to ignore these four teams, so maybe we'll have to go through them a little bit quicker. I apologize to uh, to those programs, but let's go to Mount Royal. They were uh, fifth place in the in Canada West Last year, who's the coach? Who are the notables on the roster? Yeah, Bert Gilling in his sixth season there with Mount Royal. Um, good recruiting class for them coming off of last season, so that they'll they'll be well positioned. Uh, certainly moving forward with some of the guys that they've brought in, uh, Nolan Yuremko among them, uh, Tri City Americans captain last season, uh, an Alberta kid from from Northern Alberta. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley Morris was a bit of a surprise for them last year. Um, he was an outstanding goaltender at the junior level with Okotoks. Uh, came in last season and uh, was outstanding. He was one of the top rookies in, in the country, quite frankly. Uh, Double-digit wins for him. Save percentage just shy of 920. Uh, he'll be a key part of their operation, as is any goaltender. But, you know, see how he comes into this second season here and, and what he can do for them. A bit of a surprise as a rookie, like I mentioned, but... It's going to be a, a massive part of what they do with uh, with a group that again is trying to look for a little bit of a breakthrough here. They've always been competitive. They've they've had a very good program under Bert Gilling, um, and and trying to take the next step and and win a couple of playoff rounds here and and make some make some noise come uh, come February and March. Other guys at Mount Royal on the roster: Keegan Iverson, Connor Rankin, who was outstanding in his WHL career. Andrew Fighton wrapped it up with the Oil Kings last year. Mitch Lapone. Kate Jensen was a really good WHLer as well, so that's a, an interesting uh, roster for sure. Uh, let's move on uh, to 
who was uh, fifth in the division last year. That was Mount Royal. University of Lethbridge uh, was sixth place. So the Pronghorns, uh, who's the coach, and what do you uh, what do you see on their roster? Uh, Murray Nystrom, second season there. He uh, he joined the Pronghorns last year, um, right before the start of the season here. Uh, came to them from the OUA, where he coached previously. Um, Torin White is their big offensive guy. He's a yeah. fourth-year player out of Met Hat. He's going to be really, really key for them. Um, some key sort of losses, some things to keep an eye on. Garrett Houston, who I mentioned earlier, who played a lot of minutes for them in goal, um, won't be back with them. So that's that's a situation to watch in terms of who slots in and who can take some minutes. Um, there, Justin Valentino, another player who was, was key for them last season, uh, led the team in points with 27. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to, comes to the offense, which for some of the, some of the teams that were, you know, I mean, for Alberta and Saskatchewan and, and sort of the top three to four teams, there's going to be guys who are going to put up point totals. But, um, for the Lethbridge's, Regina's, uh, Manitoba's, it's going to be key that their big guys, uh, are able to deliver just like they did in previous seasons because they'll be relying on them heavily. And, uh, I guarantee you Valentino and White are going to be seeing a ton of power play time for them to try and capitalize on that. So, uh, those are two guys for sure that, uh, that you need to watch. The Manitoba Bisons uh, always have some notable names on their roster as well. And uh, who is on the bench for uh, Manitoba? Uh, Mike Sorant, more than two decades at the helm of that program. So wow. he would be the second longest uh, tenured coach in the conference behind Dave Adolph. Um, disappointing season last year for them, finishing seventh in the conference. Uh, didn't make the playoffs, so they're on the outside looking in. Um, that is that is not... Uh, you know, that, that's a situation where Mike Saranta would obviously be disappointed not to be in the playoffs and, and have a kick at the can. They've had some, some really good seasons in the past, and then last year was obviously a disappointment. Uh, big guy for them, uh, longest tenured player on their team, Adam Henry, defenseman, played a ton of minutes for them. Uh, he's going to have to put up some points for them as well from the back end. Uh, he'll be the, the quarterback of the power play, 16 points last season for him. Um, he went to the University Ad Games last uh, last this past spring for for Canada. So uh, they basically took a took all the rosters for teams that uh, didn't qualify for the playoffs across the country and, and built a bit of an all star team from those guys. And he was one of the players that went for Canada and won bronze over there. So uh, he's got a little bit of international experience as well, which might be interesting for uh, for your listeners. So. He's he's certainly a player to watch, and I mentioned Byron Spriggs was their goaltender last season and, and logged a ton of minutes, and uh, should be more of the same for him as well in goal. Last team, last but not hopefully uh, not least uh, for fans of uh, the University of Regina, but uh, uh, again, start with the coach and uh, some of the notable players on the roster. Uh, Todd Johnson, uh, eighth year at the helm of that program, uh, former standout at the University of Calgary from his own playing days. Uh, Tyler King, defenseman, fourth-year player for them, uh, led the team in scoring last year from the back end with 17 points. So, uh, again, we've talked a little bit about some of the offensive challenges some of these teams are, are going to need to answer this season. Regina's certainly in that boat in terms of who's going to score. Uh, they scored 55 goals last year, which was, was eighth in the conference. Um, they're going to have to find some offense from from some new faces Uh and not to say that you don't want points from the back end, Guy, but I would almost guarantee you that every coach would prefer that their leading scorer was a forward. <laughs> so uh, Regina, I'm sure, is hoping for that this year. 
Um, all right, and it seems like just looking at the roster quickly, Regina would be a club that doesn't have just top to bottom WHLers. There's a lot of junior A guys who who are uh, that show up in in uh, Canada West as well, and they have their share uh, of uh, of those types of players. Um, so not everybody's got uh, a full roster of WHLers. No, there, there's certainly a lot of former junior A guys from across you know the BC, the AJ, SJ, and MJ in the league, and. You know, some of those guys have Western League experience previously and maybe played a 20-year-old season at the, that level or some right. of those guys play the entirety of their junior careers at that level. And, you know, it, one of the most interesting things to watch every season is which former junior A guy, whether or not they played their entire career or not at that level, even if they played their 20-year-old, those guys come in as recruits that are a little bit under the radar just based on some of the Western Hockey League guys that join these programs. But there's always one or two guys who comes in from the junior ranks and puts up big offensive numbers, either in their first or second season. And they're kind of a, a diamond in the rough, so to speak, for some of these head coaches. But those guys can make a huge difference because you're almost not expecting that out of, out of some of them. Some of them come in with massive offensive numbers from junior A, and you, you expect them to be able to translate a little bit. But there's always a couple of guys who maybe weren't huge offensive point producers at that level who come in and make an impact right away. And Sometimes, uh, you know, they're the difference between a team making the playoffs or not. Evan, just a couple more for you. Uh, I know at this time of year or at this, you know, early October-ish, somewhere in there, there'll be a lot of, uh, uh, U, I was going to say CIS, uh, U-sport teams uh, that will be playing against some NCAA exhibitions. And, and I know for the, the NCAA uh, teams, they'll treat it kind of like preseason. And uh, for the uh, uh, U-sport clubs, uh, it's a good way to uh, – kind of um, match up a little bit and maybe uh, test some line combinations and things. Uh, UBC just had Wisconsin uh, uh, come up north at the start of September uh, and seemed to have gone over pretty well. Any other uh, NCAA teams coming north of the border this year? Uh, nobody else coming north of the border. Um, you know, typically our, our teams always have a you know, handful of games against NCAA opponents. Um, Mount Royal is going down to Minnesota to play Mankato and Minnesota the first week of October. I'm trying to think off the top of my head if you have any other programs who are going down south, and, and apologies, but I can't recall. Um, sure. But I know for sure Mount Royal is going down there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to see those teams play, and, and I know UBC was really excited to have Wisconsin come up, you know, a program of that caliber to come up north, which is which is the exception to the norm. Most of the time our programs go down south and play for a variety of reasons for travel for those NCAA teams and uh, also it's a bit of an experience thing for for our guys as well and I know the programs like to go down and, and play in some of those facilities and, and see some different parts of the world so it's a team bonding uh, thing as much as anything for, for our programs when they go down south so it's it's become you know it's consistently part of a variety of team schedules depending on the year uh, you know we'll have a couple of programs playing against NCAA opponents and I, I know that that our players enjoy that experience, certainly. Um, and uh, it'll be no different this year for Mount Royal and um, any other teams, like you mentioned, EBC play NCAA opponents. Lastly, uh, I know uh, firsthand that uh, the uh, Canadian University sport level of, uh, of men's hockey is uh, it's really, really underappreciated. I think it's probably underscouted to some degree, although that obviously is changing with the number of players who are getting pro contracts here in the last few years. But for the general fans, uh, to encourage them to come out and watch these games, uh, you know, if you're in rural areas, it might be harder to get to the the, uh, to the city centers to uh, to watch the games live. But 
you can watch these games online too, right? Tell me about Canada West TV. Yeah, absolutely. So Canada West TV is uh, the streaming home for the conference, and, and we will webcast absolutely every men's hockey game this season. We've been doing that uh, for, for a number of years. Um, so it's an opportunity for people who want to watch this level of hockey that uh, gives them that chance to do it from their own living room, which is obviously great. Um, you know, in terms of the quality of the webcast, it's it's improving every single season. You know, you watch a webcast out of uh, out of the new facility in Saskatoon there at Merlis Belcher Place. You watch the Huskies. Uh, it's it's a good viewing experience. It's a great viewing experience out of Alberta. Um, our schools are putting more and more resources into showcasing uh, showcasing our student athletes, whether it be men's hockey or otherwise, on Canada West TV. So. I would encourage anybody to uh, to visit CanadaWest.tv and get their pass uh, before the start of the season here as we kick off Friday night. So if you want to watch all the action all season long, uh, it's the only place to do it. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to mention that, and it's something that takes up a lot of time both for our, our institutions and in our conference office as well, and, and we're proud of that, and, and we're proud of uh, the strides we've made in terms of showcasing student-athletes and, uh, like you said, uh, a level of hockey that is, is highly entertaining and uh, highly accessible now for people really all over the world. Awesome. Uh, Evan, I really appreciate your time. I hope you don't mind if I call you back uh, several times over the course of the season. I'd be happy to do that, Key. Look forward to chatting with you again and uh, keep up the good work and enjoy the, enjoy the show. There you go. That is Evan Dom uh, with the uh, with Canada West, the uh, director of marketing for Canada West. And uh, I really think uh, we need to talk more U sports on the show. We've done some in the past where mostly it's we're talking to players about from their perspective about using their uh, CHL scholarship uh, and uh, pursuing their education for free. Every year you play in the CHL, you get a year of education. Uh, books and tuition are covered for uh, each year that you played in the uh, Canadian Hockey League. But I think it's also important not just to talk about it in that regard, but about the hockey because it is damn good hockey. And I think uh, more and more players are starting to get uh, noticed. You know, rather than 24-year-old out of uh, Europe, why not the 24-year-old that's playing for the University of Calgary or that's uh, playing for Acadia out east or or right here uh, with the University of Alberta Golden Bears, much like Luke Luke Filt did last year and Zach Sachenko did this uh, this past summer, both of them uh, being signed by NHL teams. So looking forward to talking more U-sports on the Pipeline Show. One segment left to go, and we are going to get uh, up to date on everything happening around the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Tyler Uremchuk has a new show on TSN 1260 called Inside the AJHL. We'll talk about that and about what's happened so far this early season in the AJHL. We'll do that next here on the Pipeline Show. Soretsky, Mitchell, one-time shot, scores! Ian Mitchell, this kid's been red hot here on this road trip. He's got goals in back-to-back games, and he opens the scoring here. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Grove Saints, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world!
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Jive Turkey is a little over the line, my man. Last segment to go on this week's episode, and uh, we're going to uh, look at the Alberta Junior Hockey League in this segment. And my uh, guest has a brand new show on TSN 1260. It's called Inside the AJHL, and uh, he's been on the show before. Tyler Remchuk, welcome back to The Pipeline Show. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me back, Gee Flaming. Well, it's a privilege to get the chance to speak with you again, although... We don't kinda, talk enough, eh? Yeah, we don't talk enough, I guess. Uh, you're in the booth with us uh, during Oil King broadcast as well, but uh, excited for the AJHL, excited for you that you got this new show on uh, on the weekends. 9 o'clock, right, on TSN 1260s, and fans can uh, listen in online as well. I'm sure you're tweeting out every time you got stuff uh, ready to go. Yeah, yeah, tweeting out the podcast afterwards. If you want to listen live online, you can get the the iHeartRadio app and listen to us live at 9 a.m. If not, the podcast are uh, just as good. But, no, it, it's been fun. We're three episodes into this thing now, so episode four coming up this Saturday. And it's good to give uh, junior hockey more exposure, right? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. No question about that. Uh, yourself, anybody else involved with the broadcast? Uh, yeah, Wyatt Zeger is my producer. He's behind the board. He chimes in once in a while as well. Uh, so it's myself and Wyatt Zeger. Quiet Wyatt, uh, they call Quiet him. Quiet Wyatt. Well, that's just uh, JMO, right? Dave Jameson at TSN, or does it, yeah, is, I don't. Has that caught on? Wyatt. It hasn't. No, caught I, on. I call him Wyatt Zeger. I give him more respect. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, this season in the AJHL, it looks like, and we're what about three weeks in? I guess into the regular season, most teams have played four or five. Even some have played six games so far. And it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. You got Spruce Grove undefeated, Sherwood Park undefeated, Brooks undefeated. Uh, so it looks like we're, everybody's picking up right where they left off last year. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, but you mentioned Brooks and Spruce Grove up there. The teams that have given them some trouble are, are maybe a little bit surprising. Uh, they were only able to beat Drumheller 3-1. to one. They snuck by Camrose 6-4 to four as well. I believe there was an empty netter in that game. They needed overtime to beat Drumheller as well, and they beat the Calgary Canucks by a score of just 4-2. to two. When you look at last year, Brooks won their games by average of just over three goals a game. This year, like I just said, it's been two, 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 and an overtime win. So things are a little bit tighter in the south, I think. And I would say the same thing about the north as well. Um, I talked to Saints head coach Bram Steven on Inside the AJHL last week, and he said, like, obviously coaches say this, but I believe him when he says you can't take any game for granted in the north division this year. Off the hop for the Saints, I mean, they went to overtime against Drayton Valley. They snuck by Drayton Valley by one goal. Since then, they've kind of found a bit of a groove, and they crushed a couple of teams. But early in the year, again, Drayton Valley almost beat them twice. So things are definitely a lot tighter, I think, than they were last year, specifically in the South, the Crusaders, too. Whitecourt gave them a decent push in the second period. Um, Lloyd gave them a good push in their home opener or in their season opener as well. So while things have stayed the same and the regular teams are still winning at their regular rate, it's definitely tighter this year than it was last year. Well, that's that's good, actually. I think that makes for a better league, more excitement, a little less predictability like that. I think fans enjoy that as well. Um, going back to Brooks for a second, they're defending champs. I seem to recall their team last year was loaded with uh, over like uh, older players, a lot of 19-year-olds on the team. How, how much turnover has there been from last year's roster for Brooks? A, a really good amount. They lost the league's leading scorer, William LeMay, um, they lost a handful of other guys, Ray Christie, Simon Gravel, Ryan Mashey, Arno Vachon. Like, actually, I think Mashey might still be there this year, but they, the bottom line is they lost a lot of high-end talent. Um, pretty much all of their top scores are gone, so they had to find ways to replace them, and they're getting some good contributions. Braden Krieger is a rookie, an 0-1 birthday, who's been 
a goal a game. Uh, Trey Thomas, a 1999 birthday, again, a goal a game. He has seven points so far to start the year. Carson Kuhlmans is a D-man who has seven assists in four games. Um, he's a committed player as well. So they, they've had some interesting players step up. I mean, when it comes to the Brooks Bandits, you almost look at who they lose and go, you shrug and just go, well, Ryan Papawano and the group down there, they're going to find a way to bring in more high-end talent, and that's exactly what they've done this year. And a lot, again, from outside of Alberta. You look at this roster, there's a ton of players from Ontario, a few Americans sprinkled in there along the way as well. Is that becoming more of a trend in the AJHL, or is it specific to just a handful of teams? Um, it is becoming more popular. We saw the Crusaders this summer um, go out and bring in some guys from Manitoba. I talked to Ryan Papawano about that, and the way I kind of phrased the question to him, I was like, do you feel like you maybe started a little bit of a trend here? And he said, no, like, it goes back a little bit further than that. Um, a team like Grand Prairie has gone to Quebec the last couple of years. Ontario, obviously, is becoming a popular spot as well. You've always had the digging into Saskatchewan um, mm-hmm. side of things as well. But I, I, I think Ryan Papalano deserves a little bit more credit for this trend than he's willing to give himself. Not only have the bandits gone out to, like you said, Ontario, a couple guys from the States, like Randy Hernandez from Florida, um, but they had success with it. And I think that success that they had over a long period of time led to teams like the Crusaders going out to Florida and getting Brennan McDonald. Or, I, I mean, you find different ways. Tyler Jetty was their captain last year from Minnesota. Um, so I think Brooks has set a little bit of a, not a standard, they set a little bit of a trend here in the AJHL, and a lot more teams are starting to follow it. We've seen it in the past, especially in the BCHL, uh, with the Penticton Vs. They've yeah. been they've been mining the U.S. market for a long time, uh, so it uh, seems to be much more prevalent now in the AJHL than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, anyway, Tyler Yaramchuk, my guest, he's the uh, host of Inside the AJHL on TSN 1260, Saturday mornings, 9 o'clock uh, Mountain Time, if you're tuning in from outside the time zone. All right, in the uh, the Northern uh, Division, uh, we mentioned Spruce Grove and Sherwood Park. I know you're close to the Crusaders. How does that team look this year compared to last year? I know there are some key guys going into their NHL draft season uh, that you're going to mention, but overall, is this a uh, uh, a much deeper, better team than last year, or is it kind of a continuation from the club we saw do really well last year? I think it's largely a continuation, actually. like They lost a few guys like Zach Kaiser, who was a deadline pickup, but Apart from that, the core is more or less the exact same, and then Kyle Chase went out and added to it. Over the last week, he's brought in Davis Murray, who you're familiar with from his time with the Edmonton Oil Kings. He went out and added Blake Sidlowski, who was with the Red Deer Rebels last year, so bringing in some WHL talent. I don't think he's done either, um, but that forward group key, it's so deep. And the top line, I think, is probably the best line in the AJHL. Arjun Atwal, who just won Offensive Player of the Week, William Zapernick and Carter Savoy, up front, they're incredibly deep. I think Chase will try to go out and add one more impact defenseman. Um, definitely before the trade deadline, but he might try to jump on that a little bit quicker. But the blue line looks pretty good, and they're led by the draft-eligible Michael Benning, who is on most nights the best player on the ice. He certainly was in their win over Fort McMurray. Carter Savoy's the same way. Um, those two guys are just the absolute heartbeat of this team. Um, Arjun Atwal's the captain and their leader, but Carter Savoy and Michael Benning push the pace every single night. Um, they just they have so many impact players, and then Kyle Chase has done a great job surrounding them with key depth pieces that they're championship contenders. Um, it's hard to say if they're going to be better or worse than last year because last year, like they set a franchise record, they won the North Division. So the only spot they can really go up is when it comes to the playoffs, and that's going to be the big test for them. Can they get past Spruce Grove in the playoffs when it comes to that point? I honestly think that's what the North is going to come down to once again. But um, as far as just the Crusaders specifically. 
They are looking very, very good. All right, well, let's uh, focus on Benning and uh, Savoy for a second. Neither one of them very big, 5'10", and and, uh, Benning listed at 175 and Savoy at 180, both draft eligible this year. If if you were picking, uh, which I mean, they play two different positions too, so it's kind of apples and oranges, but do, do you predict a, a higher impact at the next level for one of them? You mentioned the size. Um, Michael Benning, like you said, five foot nine. He's ranked seventy three right now by future considerations. Um, but you don't you don't need to be massive anymore in the NHL to make an impact. I mean, look at the other AJHL product that's making noise right now. It's Kale McCarr, and he's not exactly a giant either. Um, so when I watch Michael Benning play, he is the definition of what you want in a modern defenseman. He moves the puck well. He controls the pace from the back end. Um, if you get a chance to go out and watch him play. Just watch when he starts a breakout. He'll stand behind the net, and he'll wait. He'll be patient. If a guy comes in, if a four-checker's coming in hard, he just has this way where you almost blink, and the four-checker's gone. He's found a way to just get around them and open up the ice, and he doesn't always feel the need to let go of the big bomb stretch pass. He'll make a three-foot pass or five-foot pass in his own end that just gets it to a forward who's in motion, and away they go. So I love Benning's ability to control the game from the back end. Um, Carter Savoy again. He's not huge, Again, listed at five foot nine, but he plays a big man's game. Like he goes out there, he's not afraid to go into the corners. We saw him last year get suspended for a hit. I mean, he's a guy who plays on the edge. He gets fired up. Um, so the five foot nine thing again, don't think will scare a lot of scouts once they come and watch him in person. He knows he's not tall, but he's a little bit stockier. Like he's built well, so he's able to use that to create offensive chances as well. He's good on his edges, which is a massive benefit. In, in an NHL that's speed-driven, I think Carter Savoy's style of play and the way he likes to go about the ice, I think it translates really well to the next level. Um, both these guys right now projected to go in the second, third, fourth round, somewhere around there, I kind of think. Um, m- what I'm going to say is I think they both go in the second round or earlier. I think Benning has the potential to be a first-round pick by the end of the season. He's that good, and Savoy's not far behind him. Awesome, and both uh, slated to join the Denver Pioneers uh, this time next year, correct? Yeah, they are, and uh, so will actually Michael Benning's defensive partner this year as well. Reed Irwin, is, uh, he's a really good, calm defenseman. I think he's absolutely perfect to put next to a guy like Michael Benning, and I think uh, Denver's going to benefit a lot from those two joining their program. The other uh, notable player, or at least one of the other notables on uh, the Crusaders' uh, roster is Carter Guylander, drafted by the Detroit Red Wings this past June. He's off to a 3-0 start. That might be the only stat that right now looks nice and uh, shiny for him, though, as he's sporting a 375 goals against average, 872 save percentage. Uh, but I think you might have to take those numbers with a, a bit of a grain of salt uh, because of uh, his sort of lack of training camp and lack of uh, preseason. Can you explain what happened for him uh, for the uh, the listeners? Well, he went to Russia with Team AJHL, but he didn't play in a single game. He didn't get any game action at all when he was in Russia which I thought was a little bizarre. If you're going to bring a guy over there, I know it's a tournament, but if you want to bring three goalies, find a way to get him on the ice. And they didn't. So it's unfortunate for Carter because, like you said, he didn't have a training camp. So he shows up late to Sherwood Park, and he's kind of behind the eight ball. And then Jordan Fry is starting to play really good, the uh, 2,000-born goalie that they got over from LaRange over the summer. So it was kind of just like a snowballing of bad circumstances. Carter Guylander hasn't looked bad but he hasn't looked like the Carter Guylander we saw for 22 games last year. He's an absolute giant as well. He's listed at six foot five. That's probably a big reason why the Detroit Red Wings liked him. I'm kind of surprised he he had to wait until the seventh round to hear his name called. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a lot of confidence that Carter Guylander is going to 
bounce back simply because we've seen him do it at the AJHL level. It's just going to take a while. Um, it might take him till the end of the month. It might take him until halfway through October. But I'm really confident, despite his struggles early, that Carter Gylander is going to find a way to be one of the best three goalies in the AJHL by the time the year's done. Arjunat, while you mentioned uh, leading the league in scoring right now with 13 points in just five games, uh, going across uh, Edmonton to Sherwood Park or to Spruce Grove, rather. And the Saints, uh, a perennial powerhouse in the AJHL, and uh, right now being led by a uh, former WHL and Ryan Peckford, who played what the second half of the season last year, basically for the Saints, uh, and back for more this year. That again, we shouldn't be surprised at all. This is going to be another uh, strong season for the Saints. Yeah, they're going to be really good. They had a ton of turnover on their blue line, though. They lost T.J. Lloyd, uh, who was their captain. They lost a handful of other players in there as well. Um, but they find a way to get it done. They picked up a D-man from Prince Albert and brought him in, and they have Matt Davis between the pipes, who I think is the best goalie in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. So they're going to be good. It does, it, they're almost the same as the Brooks Bandits. It doesn't matter how many players they lose. They're going to find a way to get guys in that are just as good or that can fill those holes, and they've done exactly that. Uh, Ryan Peckford's off to a great start. He had 22 points in 16 games to end the year last year. Now he's 11 in his first six games this season. Um, he was actually a guy, before we saw the Ethan McIndoe trade with the Oil Kings this year, I was kind of thinking the Oil Kings might have made a push to try to get his rights and try to get him back into the WHL because, I mean, he was a good producer at the uh, WHL level as well, but that's probably not going to happen now. Um, it looks like he's going to spend the whole year in the AJHL, and he's going to be in the conversation for leading scorer in the league. He's up there right now sitting third, just two points back of Atwell. But um, the other thing I like when I talk to Bram Steven. The team's three leading goal scorers, Ryan Peckford, Cam Mitchell, and um, the third name is slipping my mind now, but they all play on different lines. So they have three of their leading scorers all spread out throughout the lineup. They're really just rolling four lines almost right now, and I think it's helping everyone in that lineup get up, get off to a really good start. So, yeah, the Saints are going to be good as always. I'm not exactly uh, giving you too hot of a take right there. <laughs> all right, so if we've talked about Spruce Grove and Sherrod Park and Brooks as, as uh, right now at least the top three teams uh, in the league, who's going to give those teams a, a run for it this year? I mean, they're, they're always uh, individual teams or, you know, the Bonneville Pontiacs will be really strong one year. We've seen Whitecourt be really strong one year. They don't seem to have the the perennial success uh, of uh, of those three other clubs. Uh, Camaro's another one that can be hit and miss depending on the year. Anybody going to challenge those three teams this season? They will. Um, Bonneville's obviously always the team that's kind of third right behind Sherwood Park, right up there with Sherwood Park and Spruce Grove. Um, they're off to a pretty solid start as well. They're 3-1-1. One, and one. Their next game's against Camrose at the Showcase. Uh, they look good as well. Rick Swan always knows what he's doing out in Bonneville. So I, they're going to push, and they're going to be right in the conversation for one of those top two spots up until the end of the year. But the team that I may be a little bit surprised by to start the year is actually in Grand Prairie. They found a way to start their year Four and two. They're going up against Canmore next. They got a couple of goalies who I think are, are going to have good years. Caden Lane is one of them, but both their goalies right now have goals against averages under two. They've done it so far with goaltending, and here's the thing. If you have good goaltending, you know this, Guy, you can be carried a long way at any level of hockey. So if they can keep the goaltending up, Grand Prairie is kind of my surprise pick to really be up there this year in the North. Any other sidebar stories you're kind of looking for this year? See, uh, you got a bit of a, a question mark, what's going to happen in, in some way? Yeah, Fort McMurray is a team where they moved out a couple of pieces. They're off to a slow start this year. Um, last year when the Crusaders played them in the playoffs, it was a really, really, there was a lot of bad blood is what I'm trying to say. 260 combined penalty minutes in that series. 
they hated each other. And then over the summer, Jared White, who was one of their better players, ends up going to Sherwood Park in a trade. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird that Fort McMurray gave him up, but it was a future consideration thing, all that. Um, and this year, like like I said, they've unloaded a few pieces. I watched them play in Sherwood Park last weekend, and it was just kind of like, man, they look not disinterested. That's too harsh of a term, but there was no hate in the game. Fort McMurray didn't really look incredibly motivated. If, if I had to really knock one team for their start, it's Fort McMurray, and I want to say they'll turn it around, but you just never know. It might be one of those years where the Oil Barons take a bit of a step back. Well, Tyler, I appreciate uh, you keeping us up to date on everything happening around the uh, the AJHL. And, uh, of course, the fans can uh, tune into your show inside the AJHL, 9 a.m. every Saturday on TSN 1260. I hope you don't mind if we call you, uh, if I call you throughout the season, though. Absolutely, Guy. Always love coming on. Tyler Ramchuk from TSN 1260. His show is inside the AJHL, 9 o'clock on Saturdays. That does it for this week's episode of the show. Thanks to the four guests that you heard from. Next week on the uh, the Pipeline Show, it might be time to turn on the 2020 draft spotlight for the first time. Boy, that sounds funny to say, 2020. We're also going to uh, check in on what happened in Pittsburgh at the USHL Fall Classic. Of course, we'll uh, keep tabs on the uh, Canadian Hockey League. There was no dub segment this week, so there will be one next week for certain. And the NCAA gets going here right away as well. So uh, lots to talk about as everybody We'll be playing here very, very soon. Uh, quick thanks again to everybody who signed up to be a patron. Patreon.com slash the pipeline show is where you go. Two bucks a month gets you early access. Some other perk uh, tiers available there as well. But that seems to be the most popular one. That way you get access to all these interviews that you're hearing on the show probably two or three days uh, before everybody else does. Just my way of saying uh, thanks to those who have uh, signed up to uh, help out the show and make sure the show keeps going. I appreciate that. Uh, very, very much. All right, between now and next week, get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week on the Pipeline Show. Until then, my name is Guy Flaming. See ya.